Talk Radio 77 WABC. WABC New York and 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. CBS News can confirm that Steve Scalise has won the GOP's nomination for speaker uh, during a secret ballot vote. Uh, I believe the vote, I think it was 113 to 99, 199 for Steve Scalise, uh, 99 for Jim Jordan. An incursion is imminent. Israel's prime minister said there's a time for war and a time for peace. This now is a time for war. The tanks are in position, the artillery is ready, and over 300,000 IDF soldiers have been called up, stealing themselves for a ground incursion between Israel and Hamas, the next phase of this rapidly escalating war. Every Hamas member, they will be destroyed. A show of strength as Israel forms a unity government to manage this war, and as the U.S. sends weapons and ammo to resupply one of our strongest allies. The White House has also moved the USS Gerald Ford aircraft carrier to the region, as a deterrent to other countries who may want to get involved. We know that so far, 22 Americans lost their lives and 17 remain unaccounted for. We know that these numbers are likely to increase in the days ahead. Well, interfaith leaders gathering with the mayor at Gracie Mansion. Their message, twofold, to show their support for the people of Israel while highlighting the importance of sympathy, empathy, and tolerance for Palestinians in Gaza. Mayor Adams invited hundreds of faith leaders from all over New York City here to Gracie Mansion. So the original intent of the event was to thank them for all the hard work they do all year for so many issues that come up here in the city. But I have to tell you, everyone was only talking about Israel, including the mayor and he wants everyone to really consider religious differences and tolerance. What we saw play out in Israel was not Islam. It was hatred. It was demonism. It was devil worshiping. Talk about keeping the city safe and I'm going to come to you. You know I'm Jewish obviously and number one all those good things. And uh, you came back here very quickly. We were here just two weeks ago. So thank you for that. I appreciate that Eric. But you know that there's a lot of people here that are scared. A lot of folks have come to this country, and there is a prevailing thought that Hamas, if they're not on the way here, they are already here. And that's why CCC has intel and coordination on federal, uh, city, and state level. Uh, when you uh, deal with international law of asylum seekers, when you deal with uh, having individuals into your country, you must do it with a level of background checks. You must do it with a level of assurance that people are vetted. And that is what we're going to continue to call for. Uh, this must be done properly uh, to ensure that we uh, do not uh, rush and not have proper vetting of those into the United States. We have to protect Israel. There's no choice. And we have to do it. Uh, he has been hurt very badly because of what's happened here. He was not prepared. He was not prepared. And Israel was not prepared. And under Trump, they wouldn't have had to be prepared. Their intelligence would have been able to pick this up. Thousands of people were involved. Thousands of people knew about it. And they let this slip by. That was not a good thing for him or for anybody.
Another great open put together there by my executive producer extraordinaire, the great Justin Ellick. Three and a half minutes, and we covered an awful lot in there. Everything from Steve Scalise, he gets the win yesterday, but I got a text from my friend in South Carolina, Nancy Mace, and a story that she sent me that uh, may not be very good. In fact, it may be the death nil from my friend out of Louisiana, Steve Scalise. We'll get to that later. Then, of course, you heard from Corrine Jean-Pierre, who ordinarily is not exactly a Mensa. In fact, she's stupid. But she did a good job yesterday. And uh, even the ladies from The View, those wenches, they actually found uh, some peace in their heart to actually defend the Israelis and and uh, just annihilate the squad. So good job out of them. But Kareem John talked about 22 Americans now dead, 17 still missing, and she made the very accurate point that number is probably going to increase. B.B. Netanyahu, though, that was, uh, I think you'd agree, Lewis, that was of the three and a half minutes, that was the highlight of the Open when he said, and I quote, every member of Hamas will be destroyed. And you believe him. Oh, I believe him. Now, not as hot as Nikki Haley finish them, something out of Rocky Four, basically. But I think kind of right there. I mean, Noam Layden, you know, you know Israel about as well as anybody. Your father lives there. Your brother lives there. When Bibi Netanyahu says every member of Hamas will be destroyed, to Lewis's point, do you believe him? Yeah. No, I do believe him. I said, no, I, I know you that's do. what I yeah. meant. I mean, but I know you believe him too, right? No. Well, look what he's amassed on the border there. They've called up more than 300,000 reservists. Every family, almost every family affected by this, either they know someone who's been killed or they have a son or daughter who's been called up to fight. So um, it's real. And it's just a matter of time, it seems like, till they go into Gaza with this ground war. Well, that should be today, right? Don't know. I mean, because the issue, of course, is still these hostages. I think they're trying to figure out what the best way is to maybe negotiate to get these hostages out. Well, there'll be no negotiations. There'll be no negotiations. As far as I know, there'll be no prisoner swaps, things of that nature. Well, there is one thought, and uh, you can talk to our reporter on the ground there, Alex, who's been so great over this week. In fact, he's going to join me live from Jerusalem coming up in about 30 minutes. And one of the thoughts that he floated that there is talk about that maybe they'll reopen this border between Gaza and Egypt to let Palestinians who want to get out, out in return for maybe return of some of the hostages. See, the issue with that becomes, while your everyday folks... And uh, some of these people are bad people, just so you know. Everyday folks, everyday moms, dads, and kids, they are loving what they're seeing. You know, this idea that every Palestinian is a good person is nonsense. I know Mayor Adams last night and everybody else, it's all about restraint with Democrats. I do believe a lot of those folks are good people. I'm not sure the majority are. But the problem with that is, is that not only will people leave, but so will probably some of these cowardly Hamas guys. You know, for every Hamas guy that talks about going to see 72 virgins and dying is a great thing, they don't die. They send these young, stupid kids, these young, stupid kids who believe them, in to fight and die. The old guys are making tons and tons of money and living in condominiums all across the Middle East. So those are the guys that I fear 
we'll leave and go into Egypt first. Then we can't kill the head. The whole idea is we got to take out the big guys in Hamas or this will continue. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, slowly they've been taking out the big guys. And because we're in this world where warfare is so high tech now, they have really clear images who of the people who carried out these attacks in uh, the southern part of Israel on Saturday. And they were able to use, you know, go through their files and figure out who they were. And that's who they've been aiming for, by the way, in these first couple of days of this war. They've taken out a whole bunch of these militants who carried out these attacks in Israel. That's great. And so the thought is, if maybe they, you're, you know, do, no doubt you're right that some would make it across that border, but the ones they're really looking for would not make it across that border. Okay. I believe they've killed uh, two major members of Hamas so far. Is that number even higher yeah, now? Yeah, the number's a whole lot higher than that. I mean, major, yes, maybe it's just two, but just uh, regular militants who came across that border, they've, they've taken down a lot of them already. Well, I see the numbers this morning, No, we're about 2,600 dead now, about 1,300 innocent Israelis, and they keep finding bodies and body parts and blood every day in different kibbutzes. And they haven't even gone to every part of Israel where there are dead. About 1,300 Israelis dead and just over 1,200 Palestinians. Does that sound about right? That is, and that number is going to go up. Yeah. No, it is um, It's awful. It is absolutely awful. And you heard President Trump there, of course, and uh, he said they weren't ready, which we know that. That's uh, that's true. And this is the time, man, right? How many months are we now out of Iowa? No, President Trump. Uh, Iowa's um, February, right? February, so, yeah. So what's this? I'm not really good with math. This is uh, October, so November, December, January, February. Four months. Four months. Yeah. And uh, President Trump, as you know, did win Iowa both times, even though he lost, I guess, to Biden last time. He did win Iowa twice, and we need to make sure he wins Iowa again. One quick cut here. Lindsey Graham out of South Carolina on Sean Hannity's show last night, uh, courtesy of Fox News. He talked about the ultimate annihilation and destruction of Hamas. Here's our friend Lindsey Graham, Lou Ruffino, cut number eight. How does this end for Israel uh, to be safe? You have to destroy Hamas. Uh, in terms of Hamas, kill them all. Uh, Gaza is going to look like Tokyo and Berlin at the end of World War II when this is over. And he went on to talk about not just the Gaza Strip and Hamas, but what Lindsey Graham thinks we should do with Iran. Lindsey Graham cut number nine. Hamas could not have done this without Iranian support. The Iranians are very much involved in this operation. They've been involved in supporting terrorism for decades. And here's what's going to happen. As Israel goes in on the ground, the Iranians are going to threaten escalation. They're going to start killing the hostages, Hamas will, and Hezbollah will start attacking Israel from the north. When that happens, I am hoping somebody will tell the Ayatollah, we will hold you accountable for the escalation and blow up their source of revenue destroy the Iranian oil refineries and oil production capabilities. If Iran believes that, they might restrain Hamas. Love that idea. One more, you know, it's not just Iran and and, uh, Hamas and and Hezbollah and maybe ISIS and al-Qaeda, but there are more terrorists out there. And you know who they are? Our college students. Yes, American college students. They're not killing anybody. But the philosophies they've adopted pretty much make them domestic terrorists. Whether you're talking about Harvard or Columbia or George Washington University or NYU, it is disgusting. Lindsey Graham commented on the Harvard students 
on Sean Hannity's show last night. This is Lindsay, cut number 10. The Israelis, when they say never again, they mean it. They mean it. And to Cornell West and the Black Lives Matter group, who believes that Israel's responsible, that's I thought you were smart people. The kids at Harvard, you're blaming the Israelis? Please. This is just absolutely appalling, disgusting to the Secretary General of the United Nations, who I consider a friend. You said today we had to understand this conflict in a greater context. My friend, Hamas doesn't want us to state two-state solution. They want to kill the Jews just like the Nazis did. I am tired of appeasing uh, Hamas, apologizing for them. They want to kill Israel, so does the Iran. The Ayatollah wants to destroy the Jewish state. They don't want to coexist with Israel. This is not a land problem, a boundary problem. It's, it's a problem of you cannot live in my world. My God determines that you die. The Germans believed that the Jews were inferior people, and their goal in the final solution was to eradicate the Jewish people. Well, Iran and Hamas believes that the Jewish people should die as a result of religious teachings. We're in a religious yeah. war here. I am with Israel. Do whatever the hell you have to do to defend yourself. Level the place. Level the place. Why can't he be running the country? I mean, Lindsey Graham, well, he, he's, uh, he's like John Bolton. He's yeah, a real war hawk. Yeah. But, uh, but at this point, that's what Israel, and they, they're there anyway. They're like that anyway. But, uh, you gotta love Lindsey. You know, I've watched Fox News a long time. Long time. I don't remember any guest cursing, let alone three or four times, especially on Sean's show. But that's how fired up and emotional Lindsey Graham is and most Americans who have a heart. Now, uh, today's show will be split between what we just covered in the first eight minutes, ten minutes, the news of the day from the big um, get-together at Gracie Mansion yesterday, Eric Adams, with all the faith leaders to what's going on in Israel, to what's going on here in the city. But today is also, and I'm proud to say this, the second annual Dyspraxia DCD America Radiothon. This is a charity that my beautiful wife, Danielle, put together a couple of years ago that is inspired by my amazing son, Gabriel. And you guys all know the story. I've been over it a million times. Gabe couldn't walk as a kid. He got nervous. Danielle will really fill you in more on this. But he um, eventually he was diagnosed at Miami Children's Hospital with dyspraxia. We had no idea what that was, and my 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 guarantee is is that about ninety nine percent of you listening right now have no idea either, which is fine. It's fine. That's why Danielle started this charity to raise awareness. Because the truth is, while we spend an awful lot of time and deservedly so, talking about autism. I love those people. That's a great, great charity, too. Uh, autism, all their charities, I should say. Those are all those tunnels to towers. But there's, uh, there's a ton of awareness about autism, but none about dyspraxia. And I believe that there are millions, and I mean millions of kids and adults, including me, that have dyspraxia but were never diagnosed because here in America, most doctors know nothing about it. If you go to the U.K., sure. If you go to Ireland, Sure, but not here. So Gaby was uh, told, uh, at least a doctor told me when he diagnosed him, the good news is we know what he's got. Bad news is he'll never hit 300 or lead the league in scoring. And I was like, you remember Mr. Hand in the movie Fast Times at Ridgemont High with Sean Penn? When he said, you dick. 
That was me. And uh, Danielle yells at me to this day, well, he did good. He's a great doctor. He diagnosed him. Fantastic. But don't tell me, my little boy, he was a baby, he can't do something. Gabriel now is is a basketball player. He just finished his first summer league at St. Francis. That is no joke. Those kids are really good. And Gabe started and played every game. And he's going to try out with the JV on his high school basketball team. He's out there every day doing things that completely defy the odds. Very proud of him. I love him. So, with that said, we'll kick off the second annual Dyspoxia Radiothon with Danielle and Gabe. I want you guys to know that last year we raised a significant amount of money, but not nearly enough. So I'm really counting on this audience and all you guys who love me, as you should, to really help us raise a ton of money today. There's no reason why you won't. Here's a number to donate, one 800 890, and I'll mention this number a thousand times today. 1 800 890 Operators will be standing by throughout today's show till 10 o'clock. 800 890 9088. And if you're on your phone or online, you can donate all day long at the website wabcradio.com slash. DCD. Very simple. WABCRadio.com slash DCD. So with that said, let me introduce the lady who started this charity now two years in, and that is my wife, Danielle. Danielle, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> so um, you're, uh, you're anxious, you're nervous, but you're excited. This is a big deal for all of us, me, you, Gabe, even Ava, who's not here, of course, she's in college. But this is a big deal for you today, I know that. It is a really big deal, and because it's a big deal, I want to get these thank yous out there so I don't forget. And I want to start off by thanking John and Margo, Katsimatidis, obviously, for providing us with this amazing platform to spread awareness for um, our foundation, Dyspraxia DCD America, and I definitely want to thank Harry and Patty Poulos of What a Tea for donating these amazing T-shirts. Yeah, so- we're going to take a picture uh, in a couple of minutes. Right now, me, Danielle, and Lou are wearing them, but Noam's got one, Justin's got one, short sleeve, long sleeve. This is the material you would wear when you run a marathon. These are beautiful shirts. And I plan on wearing one of these shirts when I run Walk, jog this year's marathon in New York City. Well, you are doing it. Is this your sixth New York marathon? Yes, it is. Uh, you'll be running with Tom Biggers, a dear friend, and the New York Police Department's yes, running I team. Am. So I'm very honored that's, to be doing that. That's a big deal, yes. Very honored. Yeah. I also want to put out there a thank you to the team uh, for our foundation, Dyspraxia DCD America, our team past and present, because we couldn't be here without them, um, specifically Elizabeth McKenney. Lisa Holm, Mary Pritchard, Eric Sugar, and our volunteers, one of whom, Georgia Mejia, will be a guest today, and she'll discuss her experience with dyspraxia DCD. And I also want to thank, very important, those who donated last year and throughout the year very much for getting us here today. All right, Danielle, thank you. So uh, here is the star of the show, the, the man, he's 14, but he's my little man, that has inspired this, and... Um, cares very much about this, and that's my son, Gabriel. Gabby, what's going on, brother? Nothing much. <laughs> Nothing much? Nothing much. How do you feel about this morning? 
Well, I think it's very good to um, spread awareness about this because it's not well known in America, and that's what really counts. You're right. It, it's known in the UK. It's known in Ireland, and and look, I, I know that for you, Gaby, you you don't like to talk about it much. I understand that. You, you don't you don't want to be labeled, especially when you're going out there scoring points and kicking your friends' asses in basketball. But you do realize the importance of today and, and how you you can inspire other kids who may not be as fortunate as you do the things that you can do. You, you do realize all that, right? Of course I do. Of course yeah. I do. Yeah. And, and you want to be that face, right? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you go to the basketball court now, how do you feel? Well, at this point, I feel like just like any other kid on the court because I've worked my, my butt off to get to where I am. And I just feel like a normal kid. You know, I don't really let it um, define me when I'm on the court. I I don't really think about it at all, actually. I'm at the point where I don't – I'm not, like, on the court, like, oh, my dyspraxia is going to prevent me from doing this, so I should give up the ball to my teammates or something like that. I'm just going to, you know, try and score baskets, not even think about uh, dyspraxia because of how hard I've worked to get to where I am. And dyspraxia does – limit you in, in certain ways, not yes. you necessarily, but even you, and does make some of the things that we do and take for granted physically more difficult. So for you to go to the court and hit five straight jumpers or do a jelly layup or some of the under-the-basket Julius Irving shot that you hit, well, these are things that you never could have dreamed of doing as a little boy. But but I know this, Gabriel, because even during COVID, when that mother effer, Governor Andrew Cuomo and that piece of dog shizzle, Mayor Bill de Blasio, shut down the basketball courts. You and I were there almost every day, and you, almost every day for years, all by yourself, go out there and practice. Isn't that true? That is true. I mean, listen, I try to practice every single day at this point, and I have been practicing every single day for a very long time. I think since April... I have been practicing every single day, unless there was really something that had to prevent me from doing so. Yeah. Well, I'm very, very proud of you, and so is, uh, so is your mom. Um, Danielle, anything else as you wrap up this first segment? I'm sorry. I also want to thank Chad, Emily, and Leslie as well um, for helping us out as well. Oh, they are a big help, all three of them. Chad Lopez, Emily Pankow, and, of course, Leslie Slender. So that wraps up segment number one. We have a couple of dyspraxia guests along the way this morning. We're going to have a very emotional conversation with Gabriel later on today. Danielle will continue to provide you with information about the charity and dyspraxia so you understand exactly why you're donating this morning. One more time, folks, the number, at least for this segment, 1-800-890-9088. And go online right now and donate, please at wabcradio.com slash dcd. Curtis Sliwa, Judge Napolitano, Bill O'Reilly, Alan Dershowitz, and some dyspraxia guests along the way as well. Welcome to Sitting Friends in the Morning on a Thursday.
Radio 77 WABC. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. Tonight, I'm gonna have myself a real good time. I feel alive. We're going to go live, as we've been doing every morning here at the Jerusalem, coming up in about 10 minutes. Alex Trayman doing a spectacular job. And Noam Layton, i got to give you credit. Noam is the guy that found Alex. And Alex is on with Noam every morning in the 5 a.m. hour. And it's always an amazing conversation. So I do want to give credit to you, Noam. Your interviews with Alex were great. And then Noam gave us Alex. So he's coming on with us for the fourth consecutive day so thank you for that norm of course thank you so he's coming up uh, at about 645 curtis sliwa he'll be here at 7 ton judge andrew napolitano coming up at 740 bill o'reilly the great bill o'reilly coming up at 840 and alan dershowitz coming up at 910 but it is the second annual dyspraxia dcd america radiothon danielle and gabriel are in studio and a couple of our phone calls here for you one is a a bit of a surprise, Danielle and Gabe. So let's uh, let's pick uh, this young lady up live in Europe this morning. Happens to be Gabriel's sister, Ava. Good morning, Ava. How are you? Good morning, Dad. How are you? I'm doing well. Say hello to Mommy and Gaby. Hi, Mom. Hi, Gabe. Hi, Ava. I miss you. I love you. <laughs> love you, Ava. Love you. We wanted you to be a part of this. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, you were about five years old when Gabriel was born, and you've seen him uh, every step of the way, uh, struggling as a baby, even struggling later to where he is today, this uh, this fine young man, Ava. So you've seen all of this. Anything you want to tell your brother this morning? Well, I believe I don't convey this enough, but I am immensely proud of you, Gabriel, for all of your endeavors and for your um, for your determin- determination and your persistence and just how strong you are mentally. Uh, I tend to get super frustrated and impatient, but you have to, have, your whole life, have had to go through things that I probably would have just given up on, but you have stayed determined, you have stayed persistent, and you have never given up, and that is admirable. So I'm proud of you, and I'm proud to have a strong brother. And I'm also really, really proud of how you've been doing in basketball and how you have dedicated yourself to that time and time again, every day, basically for years. And it has, your hard work has paid off. So I'm very, very proud to call you my brother. And I miss you so, so much. Um, You just got to work on the riz, though. (laughs) yeah Uh, that's great Ava. and and by the way i'm proud of you too as is your mom i know the other day you went to a uh, a vigil service a prayer service in europe Mm -hmm. for the folks in israel you're a proud 
young Jewish girl, and I know you were there for that. And just give me, a, if you can, because we're going to go to live to Jerusalem mm-hmm. coming up in about uh, 10 minutes. Yeah. Give me a sense of the mood inside that synagogue in Europe a couple of days ago. So I'm in Wales, and there are very, very few Jews in Wales. I believe Jews make up 0.5% of the U.K. in general. Um, so it was a different feeling because I don't know if any of your listeners know, but they probably do. New York has the highest population of Jews in America. So coming from a place where I did feel more of a sense of a belonging and I knew people who I could resonate more in regards to my identity, uh, being there felt different almost because although I felt like I was part of a community, I still in some ways felt like an outsider because I wasn't a well. I wasn't somebody from the UK, but even still, it was lovely. I went with my school's Jewish society um, and everybody who came and basically supported us was so kind. Um, they were kind. And despite all of our differences and despite the fact that I'm American and I am not used to the way that they have grown up, we still shared that common uh Jewish culture, that common Jewish faith, which made it easier for me because I knew that I could stand in solidarity with people who believed in our cause. Um, The mood was, though, very sad and melancholy. Uh, A lot of the people who spoke, because what we did was first we went there, we did a bunch of different prayers for, we did prayers for the IDF, we did prayers for the deceased. Um, we watched beautiful uh, videos of uh, famous Israeli singers. We um, listened to wise words from the rabbi. Uh, we sang together. We had people talk and express how they were feeling because a lot of people in that synagogue are actually have friends, relatives, and people they knew in, in Israel, people who have passed. So it was very emotional, but it was nice to be able to share that emotion with. That's awesome. We got to run. We got so many guests yeah. stopping by today, but we wanted to start the show with you because we love you and we miss you and we're very, very proud of you. We wish you were here this morning, but you are here in spirit. And uh, we all love you. So have fun. I know you're traveling, so be careful. And- yes, Italy today. I know. Well, have a good time, and we love you, and thank you for calling in to start your brother's radio time. Thank you. Thank you, Ava. I love you. Uh, Bye, guys. Love you. We love you, too, Ava. Thank you. That's uh, Ava Rosenberg. One more quickly. That's a great job, Ava. Nicely done. Uh, One more quickly. The the first donation we got yesterday was a significant donation. It was a lot of money. I'm not going to tell you how much. It's none of your business. But it was a lot of money. And it's a man that's been a friend of mine for a very, very, very long time. When I say a friend of mine, mind you, years ago, we were in Mohegan Sun. This has to be 20-plus years ago. And he took me and Danielle to Dan Aykroyd's birthday party. Yeah. On a, Remember that, Danielle, yeah. right? And, uh, man, we've had so many great times over the years. He's the world's best men's designer. My dear friend Joseph Abud, who once again was the first to donate yesterday. Joseph, good morning, buddy. How are you? Good morning, Sid and Gabe and Danielle. Good what morning. a great way to start the day. How are you guys? You Thank know, Gabe, you. you're probably ready 
you're probably ready to take over your dad's job. Whenever he's not available, you need to step <laughs> I've, in. I've been thinking uh, about it already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, one, one of these days we're going to do that. When I'm out, we're going to put John Katz, Matinis, and Gabe on together. Why not? Well, thank you for that, he's John. He's ready to do it. Yeah, I think so, too. Thank you. And thank you for that uh, wonderful and donation. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank you. Yeah, no, and I just want to say, you know, it's moments like this that you want to hug your family a little closer. And what you guys are doing is really wonderful about creating awareness. You have an amazing show today. You've got so many guests. I don't want to keep you. I just want you to know I'm there to support you guys. This is such a wonderful cause. Thank you so much. And I hope people call in. And, and, And by the way, it's not about a big donation. It's never about a big donation. Five, ten dollars, whatever you can do. Those are the ones that really count. So I, I know your audience loves you, Sid, and they will be calling in today. Well, I appreciate that, and I know you love us, and we love you, and um, you've been a, a dear friend for so many years, and uh, you've heard about Gabe every step of the way, and Dave. Huh? Yeah, so, yeah. So How about you. the bar mitzvah suit? Yeah, uh, that's right. Mitzvah, I mean, <laughs> you know, Gabe, we were there at your big moment. Uh, I think you still may have my signed uh, suit. But it may be getting a little I small do, I do. now as you. <laughs> it was beautiful. It is beautiful. It was a beautiful career. suit. He still has it. And yes, Joseph did sign the inside of the suit, which was great. <laughs> and that was a wonderful day. Yeah. Remember that day, Gabe? It, it was amazing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. 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 Well, you're a handsome young man, and uh, I'm proud that you wore one of my suits. And you should be very proud of your family as well. Danielle, congratulations as well. And let me know you, whatever Joseph. I can do. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. We appreciate it. Thank you. There he is, the great Joseph Abboud. Take care. We love you. The great Joseph Abboud. What a great guy and a dear, dear friend. And, yes, he started yesterday, but, again, the phones are open now, as is the link on the website to donate to Dyspraxia DCD America and help people like Gabriel all over the world. The phone number, once again, and Joseph is right, $5, $10, $1,000, $10,000. It doesn't matter. 1-800, we like the 10000 one. Uh, 800-890-9088. That's 800-890-9088. You can also donate right now. It's very simple. Go to the website, wabcradio.com slash dcd. All right, before we go live to Israel and talk to Alex Trayman about the latest in Jerusalem. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. YC. This is Sid on Sports. Oh Sponsored by Fearless Boilers on 77 WABC. Justin Ellick here with your bottom of the hour sports update. Sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. Though the world's best built bowlers start on the diamond here with the MLB playoffs. We have two more championship series bound squads in the Arizona Diamondbacks and Houston Astros. The D-backs completed the sweep of the Dodgers with a 4-2 win in Game 3 of the NLDS against L.A. in Minnesota. The Astros move on after handling uh, the Twins, besting them 3-2 to punch their ticket to the ALCS, where they'll meet the Texas Rangers. In the National League, the Phillies returned home and hammered the Atlanta Braves by a score of 10-2 behind two Bryce Harper long balls, taking a two-games-to-one series lead. 
ahead of Game 4, set for a 6.07 p.m. first pitch tonight. And over to the ice we go now for the first time this year, where the Rangers and Devils will open their respective 2023 regular season campaigns. For the Hockey Blue Shirts, they'll start things off in Buffalo to battle the Sabres tonight at 7 p.m. And the Devs will drop the puck on their season at home against the Detroit Red Wings, I should say, at 7.30. No Islanders hockey until Saturday. Uh, you'll have the Sabres uh, visit the Isles after they're done with the Rangers tonight. And, of course, it is Thursday, which means a fresh week of NFL action. Week 6 kicks off with the 1-4 Denver Broncos in Kansas City to take on the 4-1 and Chiefs on Thursday night football. Kickoff is set for 8.15 p.m. Eastern time, and the Chiefs go in as 10.5-point favorites. Locally, the 2-3 and three Jets get set to host the undefeated Philadelphia Eagles Sunday afternoon at 4.25 p.m., currently as 7-point underdogs. As for the 1-4 and four Giants, they'll be in Buffalo Sunday night at 8.20 p.m. as 14-point underdogs against the 3-2 and two Bills. Sports is sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. They're the world's best bull boilers, and I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Entertaining and informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. is about right. Welcome back, folks. Thursday edition, sitting friends in the morning, our second annual DCD. There's proxy at DCD America Radiothon. Danielle and Gabe in studio, but we're going to move over to Jerusalem right now where Alex Trayman joins me for a fourth consecutive day. He's been doing tremendous work for Noam every morning and me here. He's the CEO, Jerusalem Bureau Chief of the Jewish News Syndicate. Alex, good morning. Let's start with you, of course. How are you doing today? Uh, good morning, Sid. Doing well. That's good to hear. Thank God for that. I keep asking you about um, proximity, anything getting close to cities like Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. Of course, I'm aware of the original incursion in the south and Hezbollah firing rockets to north. But uh, you guys, Jerusalem, uh, Tel Aviv, the West Bank, you guys still relatively safe, yes? Uh, it's remained quiet, definitely on high alert, uh, the threat of local populations also getting involved uh, with the intifada, you know, that's been simmering here over the last couple of years that not everybody hears about, but a constant onslaught over the last two years of, of terror attacks, you know, killing one, killing two, attacking, but not succeeding. Uh, you know, there's been calls for a day of rage here on Friday uh, among the 
the Arab community. So, you know, it's been quiet the last couple of days. People are walking around, people are going to the stores, uh, but but certainly a, a tremendous tension knowing that we could hear air raid sirens at any time and that uh, the terror threat is, is as high as ever. You know, we uh, here in the United States, just so you know, we, we saw that post, one of the Hamas leaders calling for a, um, a day of jihad tomorrow. Uh, even New York went high alert. I spoke to both the mayor and the police commissioner, Eddie Caban, is a good friend of mine, here in New York yesterday. And uh, they are taking this threat very, very seriously because they have called for a global jihad, not just in Israel. So they're actually telling people here, if you don't have to go outside or go to work, you may not want to. Is that basically the same feeling in Israel? Yeah, you know, I think that that's a very important point that this jihad, this isn't one organization, Hamas. There's there's a ring of jihad around Israel that's Hamas and Hezbollah uh, and, and Palestinian Islamic jihad and others, but it's not limited to inside and right around Israel. This is a global jihad, and that's the reason why we've seen so much anti-Semitism, uh, you know, on every social media platform. We've seen, we've seen uh, the the uh, desecration of synagogues. And it was just two years ago in one of the more recent uh, flare-ups between Israel and Hamas when Israel launched its Guardian of the Walls uh, operation that Jews were attacked on the streets of Los Angeles and uh, in New York and elsewhere. So, yes, I I do believe that as uh, Israel continues to strike back at at Gaza and Hamas, which it is doing uh, with tremendous intensity, that there is going to be this awakening of a global jihad, and I think that Jews around the world are very much at risk. Alex Trayman, that's uh, that's alarming. Uh, JNS live in Jerusalem this morning. You know, you know what I think. You know, I think the president is an idiot. I know you know that. And I thought his speech was stale and lousy a couple of days ago. Now he's come out, Joe Biden, and Joe Biden has vowed to rescue the hostages held by Hamas. Netanyahu hasn't even done that because the truth is, is they're in tunnels somewhere. The tunnels may be booby-trapped. Yes, we want to get every hostage out, Americans and Israelis. But for the president to vow to get them, how short-sighted and silly is he to make that promise when he has no idea what it's like right now in the Gaza Strip? Well, if what he means is that he is going to back Israel for as long as it takes. He didn't say, but he, he, he didn't say that. He, he, he said that correct, a couple of days correct. ago. He, he said, I vow we're going to get these hostages out. How stupid is that? Yeah, it, like I said, it, it's going to depend on, on you know how far he backs Israel. If he backs Israel to the to the hilt and and gives Israel all the resources it needs, which includes time and diplomatic support to to root out every last element of Hamas and to find these hostages, then it's great. But the the problem is that the the U.S. administration doesn't have a good track record of giving Israel the the backing that it needs diplomatically over the long term. They make great statements in the beginning of these conflicts. Uh, Anthony Blinken has already landed in Israel. He's meeting as we speak with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. And the the fear is that he's telling Netanyahu, uh, you know, that we're going to have to keep this limited and keep it proportional. And, okay, we understand you're upset, but, uh, you know, the international community doesn't want you to be doing this. And, and, actually seeing pressure on Netanyahu to, to, to comment. And it could also be that if uh, Biden is saying, you know, we'll get, the, 
We'll get the hostages out. Maybe what he's saying is, you know, you, you don't you don't attack. We're going to work our diplomatic channels to get the hostages out. And that would be a tremendous uh, strategic mistake on Israel's part to listen. Well, what does Israel feel about this? You know, again, uh, we want to get everyone out, and, and Israel values a life more than any other country in the world. We've been over this a couple of times already this week, but in the uh, process of annihilation, and that's what this war has become, right, Alex? It's a war of annihilation. How realistic is it to think that these hostages will survive? Yeah, I mean, that's the toughest question, and nobody wants to come to a realistic assessment of that, of course. But, uh, you know, with over 1,300 killed already, uh, you know, I I can't suggest that the prospects for getting these hostages out alive are high, specifically considering, you know, the the punishment that that the IDF and the Air Force, you know, are inflicting in in Gaza. You know, and and right now the the, the real key is not – so much about the present hostages, which are, are so important, but really about Israel's future, because, you know, if we get the hostages out and then there's a ceasefire uh, somehow because that's negotiated or whatever the scenario is, uh, what that means is that Hamas still lives uh, and their their motivation for doing another attack is only higher than it was uh, pre- prior to, to Saturday morning. And, and what Israelis want to see is uh, a Hamas that no longer has the motivation to commit an attack, that no longer has the military capability to commit an attack, that no longer has any international legitimacy whatsoever. Uh, and, and so we, what we have to make sure is that there's not hostages taken again. And the only way to do that is to completely dismantle Hamas at this point. In the final two minutes, Alex, and again, I can't thank you enough for doing this. I'm sure we'll speak again tomorrow. I heard your report uh, earlier with Noam. And uh, one point, it got very gruesome, but it is what it is. The president, Biden, said yesterday that he had seen the pictures of some of the dead children. And, of course, now the White House says, no, he didn't really see them, but he knows about them. That's not important. The point is, uh, whether he saw them or not, it happened. Dead babies, dead children. I know one kibbutz alone was waiting for the IDF to show up, and 130 people got massacred waiting for the cops, to, uh, the IDF to show up. Uh, and there are beheaded children and dead bodies all over Israel. And now somebody has the gruesome task, correct me if I'm wrong, of going into these little villages and kibbutzes and cities and collecting not just bodies, but body parts. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. That We have an organization here called Zaka, which, uh, you know, they unfortunately have way too much experience in, in terror attacks and, and other disasters doing exactly that. You know, for for in the Jewish faith, you know, burying bodies are and burying bo- complete bodies is so important. And they, they're actually collecting body parts and identifying them and making sure that this body part belongs to this person, uh, which is a tremendous uh, task. And it's a horrific task because the the state of some of these bodies is just unthinkable. I mean, we, we you can't you can't imagine. We've seen pictures of of full bodies burnt to a crisp. You know, there there are pictures of beheaded babies 
uh, you know, that are that are are circulating and some and a lot of pictures that are not circulating. And, and you know, Biden didn't see it. His uh, charge to bear here who's in charge of the embassy now without having an ambassador. Uh, she was down in the south yesterday. She saw she was in a press conference crying. Uh, because of the stuff that she saw. I mean, the fact that you'd have a president saying, you know, that he saw stuff that he didn't see, you know, makes you think, you know, how aware he is of, uh, you know, making decisions and other things. It's, it's a big problem. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't take away from from the horrific brutality. And, and I think that people have to keep this in mind here. Like, we're not just dealing with some rockets. The the, the level of the barbarism here was, was beyond imaginable. It, it invokes visions of the Holocaust here to the Jewish people in Israel. And when we say never again, never again is now. What never again means is that if somebody's going to do this or have an intention to do it, we're going to wipe them out because we didn't have the opportunity to do that in the in World War II. So, you know, we're taking this very seriously. Uh, we're looking at Hamas as the modern-day Hitler Nazis and ISIS and whatever you whatever it is. And uh, we're not going to stop until until this threat is obliterated. God bless you. Uh, be safe. Hopefully we'll talk again tomorrow morning if you've got the time. You've been absolutely terrific. So be safe and thank you so much. Thanks so much, Sid. All right, pal. Alex Trayman, the, the Jerusalem Bureau Chief for JNS. That wraps up a, a terrific hour number one. We've got a big hour number two to come, which includes Curtis Sliwa, Judge Napolitano, and Danielle going to fill you in on exactly what dyspraxia is as we get ready for hour number two of the second annual Dyspraxia DCD America Radiothon. Once again, you can donate right now, folks. Please help us. 1-800-890-9088. 1-800-890-9088. Or donate online. WABCradio.com slash DCD. Know him with the news? Then Curtis, our two is next. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. What you say? Be just a friend. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Oi!
712 here on your Thursday morning. Hour number two, big hour coming up. Curtis and the judge, Bill O'Reilly next hour, Alan Dershowitz and more. Before we get to Curtis, who looks very handsome in his lime green dyspraxia DCD America sweatshirt, and his, he's looking sharp. Danielle, if you will, uh, people have already uh, called in a lot. People have donated quite a bit already. And, of course, you can donate right now at wabcradio.com slash dcd. Or you can call us, 1-800-890-9088 to donate today. Give us uh, two or three minutes, a quick overview of dyspraxia. Of course, Gabriel, my son sitting to my left, was diagnosed with dyspraxia as a little boy. Give us a quick overview of what this is all about. Thank you. I will. Um, Okay, so dyspraxia is a permanent neurological condition. It's a disability. Um, the DCD stands for Developmental Coordination Disorder, and that is the actual medical diagnosis that an individual will receive um, after evaluation. The issue is is that anything that's considered developmental um, usually is attached to a child. It's pediatric. However, because it's a permanent neurological condition, dyspraxia comes into play, and that's kind of like the global, the umbrella under which DCD falls. So basically what that affects, this dyspraxia, is the movement coordination and motor planning of the individual. Um, Sometimes it can be highlighted in a child's development um, that they're not reaching particular physical milestones. In our case, we were lucky. We were very fortunate that there was a huge, tremendous red flag with Gabriel that he wasn't walking. He was 14 months old. He wasn't walking. He was doing everything else. Um, and some of his, he wasn't able to sit up, crawl, scoot, all these normal things. So, um, just to put it into context, um, someone might be able to, um, understand it's probably a little bit more. Um, this is an example that, um, was given to me and it was basically imagine having to use your non-dominant hand all day with your dominant hand tied behind your back. Okay, so you would be exhausted. You'd have to your effort would be really, really increased um, to pick up things, to grab things, to take a cap off of something, to open a door, to write, to type. And if you have your hand, your dominant hand behind your back and you're walking around, you're going up and down stairs, your balance and your coordination, your center of gravity is also also affected. So it's not just a physical thing when you're putting so much effort to get your basic Life needs your daily functions taken care of. It affects you mentally. It can make you anxious. It can make you exhausted. It can frustrate you, and it could affect you behaviorally as well. I'm sorry. I'm trying to do this right now. It leads to depression and other uh, other major issues. And, and no, seriously, it uh, it's not easy. And and when we talk about Gabriel going to the basketball court, which kind of has been uh, his healing process. And playing well, it's uh, it's nothing short of, of miraculous. So uh, thank you for that. Then we'll get back to you with some more information on the this proxy at DCD America charity. But it is time for the man. He gets big ratings every weekday afternoon between noon and one, as well as overnights every weekend. Arguably does his best work right here alongside me every weekday morning about this time. So you heard the Eric Adams interview yesterday. And while you gave me credit, thank you for that. You didn't seem all that impressed, Curtis. Let me tell you something. If I'm a terrorist listening, and if you're a terrorist, and we know there are terrorists amongst us, especially where I was in New Jersey last night supporting Jack Citarelli for governor, although the election is in 2025, the same time as the mayoral election here, 
Remember, all the terrorists in the first attack of uh, 1993 World Trade Center and the second attack were living in New Jersey because they fly under the radar screen. And then you had a guy like Jim McGreedy, the governor. Oh, I want my boyfriend to be in charge of Homeland Security. Golan Sapel happened to be from Israel but knew nothing about Homeland Security. So I was begging the crowd, please, you got to get Jack Citarelli in there. Because we know the terrorists go into New Jersey, all these small towns, villages, you know, with small police departments. And so they, they understood it. I don't think our New Yorkers understand what the mayor said yesterday. I listened so intently, and thank you for bringing that out in the mayor. Because well, you, well, in all fairness, if I'm going to be honest, some of the stuff that I asked, including the police unit that deals directly with terrorism, some of the stuff I asked in the interview came directly from you, and they were great questions, but they were yours. And, and I think it, he answered it was, some of them. It was the way you asked it. It wasn't like um, in his face. So right. he opened up. He revealed yeah. that he has pretty much reallocated what was a thousand members of our NYPD counterterrorism unit, NYPD unit, to other. He said responsibilities in the department. He doesn't want to see long guns out there. I nearly f- collapsed in my seat <laughs> when I said, "Are you out of your mind? You, you pretty much." have disbanded. Plus, there have been layoffs, uh, not layoffs, but there has been a reduction in police personnel. We're down to 32,500 from a high of 40,000. Don't tell me there are still a 1,000 members uh, who are uh, involved in this counterterrorism NYPD unit. They used to be housed at the Bush Terminal right along the BQE and no longer housed there. Nobody knows how many people were involved. Remember, John Miller was involved. We, we felt good when John Miller was involved, when Ray Kelly was involved, when Bill Bratton was involved. These are people who have dealt with these problems. I got to tell you, Eddie Caban is not ready for prime time for this. No, nor is the mayor. The mayor basically gave away the playbook. You don't have to worry about long guns, guys in helmets, Hercules squad standing outside. He said the Empire State Building, Penn Station, if I'm a terrorist listening, I'm licking my chops. Is he out of his mind? Shut your mouth. If anything, even if you have disabled the counterterrorism NYPD unit, don't say it. My God, he gave away the playbook. Remember, what did Trump say? Don't give away what you're going to do or what you have available to you in terms of human resource or military resource. Which was a huge difference. I mean, you remember the guy right before Trump was Barack Obama. And nobody, nobody was more guilty of giving the enemy the heads up more than Barack. He basically told them every time he was going to do something. And by the way, uh, I want to give credit to that guest, Alex Trayman. You've had him on for a third time. By the way, Noam received that individual's contact from my sister Maria. Oh, is that right? Yes, who's a great job in PR. Yeah, Maria's been sending me a couple of emails every day with some big-time journalists oh, yeah. live in Israel. By the way, it was her birthday yesterday, so we wish her a happy, happy birthday. birthday, Maria. She has done a great job. Alex revealed to us that the day after they opened up the border crossing from Gaza into the Sinai in Egypt at Rafa. You don't think that the Hamas elder leaders in their wheelchairs with no arms, you know, with hooks, with eye patches on, no teeth, 
weren't wheeled out. Remember, we had Osama bin Laden on the run, B-52 bombers, right? And he dressed up in a burqa in order to escape in Tora Bora. And remember, it was the Pakistani generals who he was living side by side with that we give billions of dollars to in Pakistan when we finally nailed him. I don't trust any of them. Don't trust any of them. And I got to say this. How did Hamas amass all these missiles, thousands and thousands of missiles that they continue to fire into Israel? There had to be profiteers involved. There had to be oh, guys. Oh, there's money. Who, oh, there's big money oh, from my. a lot of countries. Hey, by the way, when I heard this the other day, which really goes to show you how Israel really got caught with their pants down. And Donald Trump was uh, critical, I should say, of Netanyahu yesterday about that. Do you know that in Gaza, Hamas actually built, like a movie set, they built an Israeli village, and right there in the open, where people were walking in the streets and going to work, they practice raping, pillaging, and murdering Israelis right in the middle of the actual strip they built an Israeli village, and they practice in front of everybody. But I guess, A, Israel's not there all the time. Well, you don't and have B, to be there. they wouldn't really do it. You don't have to be there. You have satellites overhead that can find a pimple on a terrorist big schnoz there in the Gaza. I've been to the Gaza in 1998. I'm probably one of the few. The Palestinian Liberation Authority of Yasser Arafat ran it at that time. There were no barriers. Wasn't the easiest place to get into. I had my red beret right away. They were saying, Oh, Israeli parachute here. <laughs> so I spent just a few hours. I was out. It was during the 50th anniversary of the state of Israel. It is a, sw- a sweltering hot mess of humanity all compressed together. You talk about an urban area. The only place I found more condensed, uh, than Gaza was Bombay in India. Bombay. So remember. There's nowhere to go. So by them having a facsimile movie set in which they could practice over and over raiding an Israeli village, you're telling me with Elon Musk satellites, Israeli satellites, American satellites, we didn't see any of that. We were all asleep at the wheel. Well, like, also like the, during 9-11, remember? Yeah, no, I know, but the conspiracy theorists, and, and these people are crazy. I don't buy into any of this. My dad did a little bit, but there were people that actually thought that Bush knew about 9-11 and was willing to have the buildings fall because he wanted to go into Iraq, take out Saddam Hussein because Hussein threatened to kill his father. Yeah, but we said that about FDR, of right? Of course. Pearl Harbor. So, so now they're saying that Netanyahu had to know about this. There's no way he couldn't have. But he, he so desperately wants a war with Iran that he basically let it happen. I believe that is completely untrue. It's almost sick, by the can way. We just but the say, folks that believe that. Can we just say, I don't trust the Secret Service agencies. I don't trust government. I don't trust elected officials. Ladies and gentlemen, you got to question. It's verify and then trust. So we believe Mossad, invincible, Shinbet, invincible. Oh, they've, they've actually gone into Gaza. They're a part of the people. They're dressing like Palestinians. The other thing nobody has mentioned. In some of these instances we've seen in video where they're kidnapping uh, men and women, notice how some of these Palestinian terrorists are black. I've been, I've been with a lot of Palestinians here and over in Israel, in the West Bank, and obviously Gaza. Never saw a black Palestinian. So 
There are supporters of Hamas and other terrorist organizations who come from where, where have I been telling you? The sub-Saharan desert areas of Africa. And we have them in here as illegal aliens. Let me run it down. Mauritania, Mali, Chad, Sudan. There are active units of ISIS and Al-Qaeda. They are the international terrorists. So wake up, Eric Adams. You let them into our house You're providing them hotel accommodations and cell phones, and right now they could be part of a cell here that is intent on doing damage to us because they want to run the table. They know the the third time is the charm. So stop thinking of olive-skinned terrorists like you see in movies. These will be darker than any African-Americans who walk amongst us because they're dedicated ISIS and al-Qaeda fanatics, small percentage. But it doesn't take a lot to do a lot of damage. Curtis Lewa, as always, is on top of everything. Thank you. Thank you for uh, stopping in this morning, wearing that sweatshirt, and giving us this very valuable information. Great job. Might Thank I say you. one last thing? Sure. Gabe, you and I were so right when we warned your father, who thinks he knew everything the last time we sat here. Let's. You better stop at Home Depot on the way home <laughs> into the Rockaways and buy a pump and all kinds of uh, items. And what, what did your dad say? No, we're not going to do it. Next thing, your pipes burst. <laughs> I mean, you're like, nah, nah, I don't, I, don't really, I, don't really need, I don't really need it. We're fine. We're fine. And then, like, next thing you know, like a week later, our house is underwater. Yeah, you're like nomads and Bedouins for like a year. You should have listened to your son, oh, You're right. Famous last words. We're fine. Thank you, Curtis Sleeper. Great job. Really great as always. Check out Curtis Noon to One. Every weekday afternoon and, of course, overnight weekends and does a great job with me every morning. The only man on every morning because he's terrific. Once again, this is the second annual Dysproxy of DCD America Radiothon. Danielle and Gabriel in studio right now. To donate, very simply, folks, call 1-800-890-9088. That's 800-890-9088. Or head to the website. That is wabcradio.com slash dcd. I do want to tell you this. We're doing something very, very, very cool at the Staten Island Ferry Hawk Baseball Stadium. This is unbelievable. Halloween a couple of weeks away. I'm going to do this with Danielle and Gabe. You should do it with your kids, too. Get ready for the spookiest event of the year, Hollows End Haunted House. I'm telling you, folks, you're going to love this. And right now, I'm giving away a four-pack free to Hollows and Horton House at Ferry Hawk Stadium on Staten Island. It's the ultimate Halloween extravaganza that'll send shivers down your spine. Picture this. Haunted mazes, spine-tingling performances, and the scariest costumes in all of New York City. So right now, the next person to donate at least $100 the next person to donate at least $100 to Dysproxia will, in fact, receive a free four-pack. They've got a pumpkin patch. They've got haunted houses all over the field. It is the perfect and only way, only way to celebrate Halloween at John Katzmatidi's beautiful Ferry Hawk Stadium on Staten Island. Next $100 donation receives a free four-pack. Now, that wraps up the first segment, 7 o'clock hour. Still lots more to do, folks. Judge Napolitano, Bill O'Reilly, Alan Dershowitz, a bunch of dyspraxia radio guests, and Danielle and Gabe. Keep it right here, folks. Sitting friends on a Thursday.
Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Entertaining and informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. So many of you have already donated. Uh, really, uh, we can't thank you enough. Me, Danielle, Gabe, and Ava, not here today. Uh, so many of you. Thank you very much. Uh, whether it's been uh, Olga or Leslie, Leslie Slender, I would deal Leslie Slender here at the station. Some of these names I, I do recognize. Patsy Siciliano, thank you. Patsy, Juliana, thank you very much. Uh, another daily listener. Uh, the money keeps coming in, folks. Thank you very much. Once again, to donate, all you have to do is call 800-890-9088. That's 800-890-9088. Or the website, of course, wabcradio.com slash DCD. We will talk to Judge Napolitano coming up next. Bill O'Reilly next hour. Alan Dershowitz in the 9 o'clock hour. Thanks to Curtis Sliwa. And, of course, Alex Trayman, who joined us live from Israel in the 6 o'clock hour. Our first dysproxia, dysproxia guest this morning is a young lady named Georgia Mejia. She's a mom of two boys. You ready for this, Lewis? She has a son named Wally. He's four. And a son named Wyatt. <laughs> He's six. Congratulations. How about that? Yeah, of course, uh, Dynamis had uh, a little boy named Wyatt. Uh, Wyatt was diagnosed with dyspraxia. He's a young man at the age of four. So uh, here is Georgia, who I believe is also live in Georgia, and she's a volunteer for our great charity. Georgia, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. How are you? Oh, we're doing great. Thank you so much. A, for volunteering. Danielle tells me your efforts are very, very valuable. And B, for hopping on the show this morning. Where in Georgia are you? The Atlanta Braves are in big trouble. Big trouble. Oh, I know, but I, um, yes, I do live in Atlanta, but I am currently sitting in Dallas. And why is that? I am out here for a work, uh, a, a client event. Okay, gotcha. Cool. All right, so you're an Atlanta native, and uh, the Braves are down two games to one to the Phillies. But uh, on a more important note, uh, you've gotten to know Danielle very well. You guys work together. You're very aware of my 14-year-old son, Gabriel, who's sitting right in front of me. Uh, you've got two boys, and your son Wyatt is the dyspraxic. You said he was diagnosed at the age of four. 
If you can give me the Monarch Note version, the summary quickly as to how you found out. For us, it was simple. Gabe wasn't walking. He wasn't crawling. So he went to the doctor. What was the case with Wyatt? Yeah, so a little bit uh, different. Um, Wyatt met all of his major milestones. I would even say uh, he met them early. Um, he crawled, he walked on the early side. He talked in full sentences by the time he was right around the age of one. Um, we actually took him to the doctor for speech problems at a very young age, like at 18 months. And the um, the doctors told us, you know, hey, this is kind of silly. You know, 18, it's normal that 18-month-olds, you know, can't speak. Um, and we kind of thought, well, okay, I hear you, but he is speaking in full sentences. They're just unintelligible, and he could not make the sounds that a typical baby, their first sounds are, you know, da-da-da. Well, he couldn't make any sounds that required his tongue to hit the roof of his mouth. He just could not control the muscles in his mouth. So they said, you know, bring him back at, at two if you're still struggling with this. We brought him back at two. And so speech is actually what led us down this path of figuring out that he was dyspraxic. We maybe otherwise would not have known this because we just thought he was, you know, a, a funny little clumsy kid. But wow. the following, he fell a lot when he was little, but we weren't overly concerned. We just thought, you know, he was a little clumsy. Yeah, you know, Gabe uh, fell a lot, uh, too. And, uh, in fact, I'll never forget the one time we were at a pool in Fort Lauderdale oh and Gabe went down and we actually had to have the paramedics come. We, we, we really weren't worried that he was, you know, suffered a major head injury. He didn't thank God. He wasn't even concussed, I don't believe, but he had uh, some of the same issues. So where is Wyatt today, uh, years later, compared to where he was when you first found out all this? Yeah, he is just doing incredibly. And that's, you know, one of the reasons why I want to, um, why I want to help the foundation and make things easier for other parents because I have been able to witness or are fortunate that he was diagnosed so young and that we have the knowledge that we have because it's what these kids are capable of doing if they're given the correct type of support. I mean, my son, you know, learned how to throw a ball, learned how to catch a ball, learned how to ride a bike, learned how to swim, wow. um, participate in any sport that he wants to participate in. He he loves it. Now, it requires a tremendous amount of additional help from us, or thankfully we have found the right coaches and the right teachers, and we've been able to tell them what dyspraxia is and how it affects the way that he learns and processes information. Um, and when we find the right teachers and coaches, you know, they help break down the steps for him so that he can digest the information. Um, but it is definitely not, you know, dyspraxia is not, a thing where kids cannot do these activities. They just take a little bit more time, and they need someone who's going to be patient and knows how to break the steps for them. So Agreed. Doing well. Yeah, clearly Wyatt and Gabriel are perfect examples of what you just talked about. In, in the closing 30 seconds, uh, Georgia, you agree that, uh, at least I believe, that dyspraxia is wildly undiagnosed here in the United States. Yeah, I I all self-taught through other parents, in fact. it's Even his um, pediatrician now, uh, we've asked, do you have other dyspraxic patients? And he said, no, not that I'm aware of, when in reality he probably sees dyspraxic patients every day. 
Wow. Well, Georgia, listen, thank you so much for the volunteer work uh, you've done. Congratulations to your son, Wyatt. You sound like a really a terrific lady. Have a safe trip from Dallas back to the state of Georgia, and uh, we'll talk to you again very, very soon. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. That's Georgia Mejia, and she is in Dallas, but an Atlanta Georgia native. Her son, Wyatt's got dyspraxia, like our son, Gabriel. Thank God he's doing great. Okay, Judge Napolitano will join us next. Always great on a Thursday. Bill O'Reilly, Alan Dershowitz, and more. Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Say what you see, man. We got these questions. Is it true that you've sold your soul? I say, hey, man, I don't know. Let me quarter, won't you? I'll call my accountant. Let's get out this. Get out with it. If you want to I got uh, good news for you, Lou Rapino. This is very good news for you. I mean, I can't guess. It's a great song. Danielle seems very happy with the musical selection today. Thank God. I love it. What did you say there, Danielle, that this is my song? Correct. <laughs> yeah. Don't look at him. you got to talk in the mic, bud. Uh, we got a big guest. He's looking at him going, correct. I'm not used to him being in charge. It's <laughs> yeah. throwing me off. Good He's not guess. used to me being in charge of anything, no, but here I am in charge. Happy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my, my next guest is uh, with us every Thursday because he's great. He spent, many, uh, spent so many years on Fox News television, long stint on IMUS, now a great, great stint with us, also has his own podcast and has a ton of listeners. I mean, a ton. He is the very bright Judge Andrew Napolitano. Judge Knapp, good Thursday morning, buddy. How are you? Oh, good morning, my man. What a pleasure to be on with the Rosenberg family. <laughs> wow. I wish I were there in the studio. Danielle, everybody knows you're the brains of the family. I, I wish I could get that through to him today. I've never, he's in charge. It's really throwing me Yeah, she's having a hard time. And, yeah. And Dave, everybody knows you're the good-looking guy in the family. Of course, of course. <laughs> Am I still on the show? well you're off to a terrific start if you compliment danielle and gabriel judge then uh you just inked another two years on sitting friends in the morning congratulations (laughs) tell the cat tell the cat man to sign me up absolutely oh he's listening right now he hears every word you say john katsimatidis and margo two of the finest people you'll ever meet don't miss one second of this show so they're hearing everything you say i promise well, you know, that's the happy side of me, that I'm with the Rosenberg family, uh, wonderful friends of mine. The sad side of me, of course, is what's happening uh, in the world, and uh, it's it's terrible. America has to stand up for its friends. You know, I know Bibi Netanyahu. I'm very, very disappointed. I don't know how the, the most vaunted intelligence service on the planet could have missed this. As Curtis said, they have satellites, they have listening posts, they have spies, 
They have AI that monitors every every bat of every eyelash. I just don't know how they could have missed something of this magnitude. Uh, but right now they have to fight back and put an end to it. Right. I mean, that's that's where they are now. And, and heads are going to roll. I think BB, unfortunately, may be uh, done and, and, and others, too. But I want to go with the president for a second because he's come out this morning. And I really think he's a moron. I do. I mean, I know he's got some some physical limitations and dementia and all that stuff. But comes out this morning and says, I'm guaranteeing we're getting our hostages back. Now, there's no way in a million years anyone can guarantee that. In fact, this is going to sound sad, but if I had a bet on it, I don't think they make it because it may be booby-trapped. They'll never get to them. They're in tunnels underground. Israel is bombing Gaza every couple of minutes. So for the president to say, and I know his heart is in the right place, I get that, He's definitely getting these hostages out. Is so irresponsible. This, just two days after what I thought was one of the weakest speeches I've ever seen. Yes, we're backing Israel. Big deal. Who's not? What are you going to do about it? And his toughest word that he used that day was, don't. Come on, Judge. Uh, Sid, I'm uh, in 100% agreement with you. Put put aside the fact that uh, you and I don't agree with him on anything and put aside his physical and mental uh, limitations. He has just come off uh, terribly. And unfortunately, he can't guarantee uh, that the hostages are going to be released. And making a boast like that does not advance the ball. This is Joe Biden going off script. I'm sure his handlers, yeah, he's got handlers. I'm sure his uh, handlers were cringing when he was saying that stuff because it just doesn't it doesn't move the ball. That's just the sort of snarky, wise guy in Joe, which he's always had. You know, I've known him for 36 years. He's always had that. Uh, Nobody really paid attention to it until he became president of the United States and and his mental deficiencies became uh, apparent. Uh, I'm hearing reports that uh, special ops and SEALs are already there. I'm also hearing reports that the Israeli government doesn't want them because it doesn't need them because they have their own people who speak the language, both languages, uh, and who are just as good or maybe better uh, than our people. It's just a matter of time before they uh, extricate the hostages. So I'm hearing both stories from my uh, from my sources. Judge Napolitano here on a Thursday morning. So I've been speaking to this gentleman every weekday morning live in Jerusalem. He was on earlier, Alex Trayman. And uh, Anthony Blinken, as we speak, the Secretary of State, is meeting with Netanyahu. And one of the issues with the Israelis is, is that Biden and Blinken and this White House while backing Israel 100%, in one sentence they go, they got to do what they got to do. But in the very next sentence they talk about restraint, which is annoying and frustrating, and the Israelis don't like it. I know Adams did the same thing in New York last night. Restraint, Palestinians, innocent people. Israel does not want to hear that word right now. They know it. They're not animals. They're not barbarians like Hamas is. But they don't want to hear that word restraint. Do you blame them? You know, it's 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 a difficult situation uh, for for everybody. BB uh, knows. Well, first of all, I agree with you that BB's political career will soon be over. But that that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is to stop the killing and to extricate the the innocents. Uh, and they do have to exercise restraint. They know that. 
but I don't know that anything is served by reminding them of that in public. I mean, Blinken can talk to Netanyahu about that, although Netanyahu knows a lot more about this from his own experience than uh, than Blinken does. But there's no reason for continually um, re- reminding them of that unless there's some uh, audience that they're trying to pander to, which we all know, which is the hard, hard left wing uh, of Joe's uh, party. Yes, they have to exercise restraint because they are civilized, cultured people uh, who do not want to kill innocents intentionally. Now, innocents always get killed as a byproduct of killing the bad guys, particularly when the bad guys hide uh, amongst uh, the innocents. So, so the if, mayor... a bunch of people, yep. if a bunch of people are in a mosque praying, yep. Israel cannot destroy the mosque. Right, but of course. If Hamas is meeting in the basement of the mosque, yes, Israel right. can destroy the mosque. That's the value and the necessity of intel so that you know you're aiming for the bad guys. And if innocent people die, it's an unfortunate byproduct. But under the law and under common uh, Judeo-Christian morality, you cannot aim at or intend to kill innocents. Now, Hamas doesn't believe that. But we do. Hamas will often use their own children as protective shields and and do all those things. Uh, I don't want to get uh, to the mayor. The mayor was on with me for about 15 minutes yesterday. The uh, one of the leaders of Hamas has called for a worldwide jihad tomorrow, a global jihad tomorrow. So, uh, of course, there are more Jews here in New York City than any other state in the country. And uh, as a Jewish male... I'm a little concerned. I'm not freaked out. I'm not going to stay home all day, all that nonsense. But I'm a little concerned. So I reached out to the mayor and the police commissioner, Eddie Caban, and I asked the mayor yesterday about the possibility, if not probability, of Hamas already being here. Here was that exchange, Judge, that I want your thoughts. Here's me and the mayor. You talk about keeping the city safe, and I'm going to come to you. You know I'm Jewish, obviously, and number one, all those good things. And uh, you came back here very quickly. You were here just two weeks ago. So thank you for that. I appreciate that, Eric. But you know that there's a lot of people here that are scared. A lot of folks have come to this country. And uh, there is a prevailing thought that Hamas, if they're not on the way here, they are already here. And that's why CCC has intel and coordination on federal, uh, city, and state level. Uh, when you uh, deal with international law of asylum seekers, when you deal with uh, having individuals into your country, you must do it with a level of background checks. You must do it with a level of assurance that people are vetted. And that is what we're going to continue to call for. Uh, this must be done properly uh, to ensure that we uh, do not uh, rush and not have proper vetting of those who enter the United States. Mayor, your thoughts. Uh, my, my response, as you know, was, but Eric, we already know a bunch of folks are here that have not been vetted, even the ones you say you quote-unquote vet. It's like two questions, not really vetting. Anybody have an answer for that? So do you think my concerns are legit? I think your concerns are profoundly legit. Give me Rudy Giuliani and Ray Kelly, or give me Rudy Giuliani and Bill Bratton any day over what we have, uh, over what we have now. I not only want to be safe, I want to feel safe. This guy's afraid to have. I just heard what Curtis said. Now I know Curtis has got a chip on his shoulder about <laughs> yeah. the mayor, but Curtis is one hundred percent correct. 
people need to feel safe. Who the hell cares if people don't want to see long guns? You feel safer when you see the police out there at a moment uh, at a moment like this. I'm not so sure that these two guys, I don't know Caban at all. The mayor I've met just a couple of times when I was teaching at Brooklyn Law School, uh, and he was the Brooklyn uh, borough president. He's a nice guy, but he's yeah. in over his head. I know he's your buddy, and I commend the relationship you have. But to make a statement like that at a time like this shows his eye is not on the ball, Sid. No, I agree. I mean, he's a buddy of mine, but he's one of those buddies that I beat up all the time. I'm very critical of Eric, but he's uh, he's mature enough to take it, which is the job he's in. Last 60 seconds, you mentioned Brooklyn Law. And uh, after Bill O'Reilly stops by, Alan Dershowitz will join me later. And he's been uh, on Hannity on every show across America yelling and screaming about our academia, specifically Harvard, Columbia, this animal, the head of the Student Bar Association at NYU, they're about to fire her, thank God. As a judge, lawyer, all those things, are you not disgusted with what's going on at our colleges, specifically for some reason, judge, our law schools? Yes, law school. Listen, I was on the faculty of Seton Hall Law School. I was on the faculty of Delaware Law School. I was on the faculty of Brooklyn Law School. Everywhere I went, I was an anomaly because law schools are, Alan Dershowitz knows this better than anybody, hotbeds of left-wing radicalism. And every major university in the United States that has a a top-flight law school, the farthest left members of the faculty are the law faculty. I don't know the cause of that, but I know the effect. And the effect is to preach that nonsense on the part uh, of young uh, lawyers. Look, look at the front page of today's New York Post. Harvard law students, the creme de la creme, and they want to destroy uh, Israel. Those guys and gals just talk themselves out of jobs, and rightly so. I hope so. What do you do? I know the uh, the lady, Regan, whatever her name is, from NYU, she got a, a pretty good job waiting for her. And it ain't going to happen. Hey, Judge, you're, uh, you're spectacular every week. Thank you for showing love to Danielle and Gabe. And another great appearance. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We'll do yeah, it again yeah. next week. Sure. Give them both a hug and a kiss for me. God bless your, the Rosenberg family. All the best. Uh, God bless you, too. What a super guy. That's Judge Angelo Napolitano, and he's talking about Danielle and Gabe because today, while we're discussing all these important events, is also the second annual Dyspraxia DCD America Radiothon. And you can donate like so many of you already have, but we need more. Right now, give us a call, 800-890-9088. That's 800 800- Eight nine zero nine zero eight eight or donate online wabcradio.com slash D C D. We halfway through a big two hours to come, including Bill O'Reilly. We've got uh, Danielle, we've got Gabe, we've got Alan Dershowitz, and more. Folks, our number three of the Thursday edition of Sitting Friends in the Morning about to come your way. Radio 77 WABC. This 
is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Friends, how many of us have them? Friends, 77 WABC. It's a little bit funny, this feeling inside. I'm not one of those who can easily hide. I don't have much money, but boy, if I I'd buy a big house where we both could live. If I was a sculptor, but then again, no. Elton John, as he's taught hour number three here, this is the second down you old this proxy at DCD America Radiothon with my beautiful wife Danielle, my amazing son Gabriel, they've been live in studio all morning. They'll stay here. Two major guests still to come. Bill O'Reilly coming up about 8.45 this hour. Nobody better. Alan Dershowitz in the 9 o'clock hour. You can donate. I've been doing all morning long, but we need more. 1-800-890-9088. That's 800-890-9088. You can also donate online at wabcradio.com slash dcd. That's wabcradio.com slash dcd. And I'm going to talk to a very special young man. His name is Toomey. He's got dyspraxia. He was diagnosed with dyspraxia. But before I do that, uh, Danielle, you've got some more information on dyspraxia and the charity. Go ahead. All right. Thank you. Um, just to highlight how little dyspraxia DCD is known in the U.S., um, we are one of two nonprofit organizations that support dyspraxia DCD in America. However, what sets us apart from the other organization is that we do not request donations in exchange for support. We are comprised of 100% volunteers. Not one person takes a salary. Additionally, we are the only one that is developing funding to provide support for individuals who do not have the resources to obtain things like evaluations that cost upwards of $5,000 a pop, Various therapies, whether it's speech, occupational therapy, or physical therapy, which is so important. Physical therapy is what helped Gabriel learn how to walk. Um, we don't ask for any assistance, um, and we are very transparent in what we do with our funding. And I just want to quickly say, because I know there's time constraints, that we have developed with our funding from last year an infographic, which is up on our website, which is printable. It has a QR code, and it really, really visually lays out all of the symptoms and the effects of dyspraxia DCD. So people can take it to their teachers, to their medical providers, to family members, caretakers, their attorneys, um, just to show them what dyspraxia is and what it looks like and what to look out for. And what is uh, the URL, Danielle, for the website? Yes, it's dyspraxiadcdamerica.org. Dyspraxiadcdamerica.org. So much like my terrific son, Gabriel, who's going to join me next before Bill O'Reilly, I had the chance to sit down with a young man. You're going to love this guy. He's in the U.K. His name is Toomey, and we talked about his life with dyspraxia. Here's Toomey. And welcome back, folks, to the second annual Dyspraxia DCD America Radiothon. We're really excited to uh, bring this young man on. My wife, my beautiful wife, Danielle, actually met this young man in England last year. Of course, two of the um, the biggest, if not two of the only, big conferences uh, throughout the world that uh, we go to on an annual basis are in England and in Ireland. 
Ireland is uh, coming up, in fact, in a couple of weeks. And Danielle had the opportunity to meet Toomey Sator. I think I got that name correctly. Toomey, good morning. How are you, pal? Hey, I'm fine. It's really great to be here. It was really, really lovely to meet Danielle. Yeah, oh, thank you. And an amazing time. Oh, uh, thank you. She's uh, she's a good lady, and uh, she was really, really happy to meet you too. And you know, my son Gabriel, of course, was diagnosed with dyspraxia as a little boy, but a little different for you, Tumi, in that you're African American. And I have to tell you that the last conference I was at, about two hundred people in the room, uh, I only saw one African American person. So it's not as if, as if this is, uh, at least at this point, well known to be widespread in your community. And in fact, uh, I believe you have your own group, uh, something, uh, is it Blacks for Dyspraxia? What is it called? So I need to correct you that I'm not actually African American, I'm African British. Oh, you're right about that, too. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I'm so used to talking to Americans. You are the black dyspraxic, and I want you to tell me, because this is very important, because I have to imagine that being a a black dyspraxic is different than white. And what I mean by that is, to me, based on expectations, I know you've told Danielle stories, how people expected you to be different as an athlete, as a dancer, some of the the things that uh, you just expect to see from certain communities. And because you've got dyspraxia, and I believe autism as well, you weren't able to do the things that uh, other kids ordinarily do. Is that fair to say? Yes. I don't have autism. I have dyspraxia. And, yes, you're you're completely right. Because when you think about um, um, the black stereotypical person in the West, we think coordination. We think the ability to dance, to have rhythm, to to be a really good athlete, to be good at basketball or soccer or American football or to catch a ball, all of these things. That wasn't me growing up as a kid because of my dyspraxia. So I had people even in the black community saying, are you really black? Doubting my ethnicity because of my learning difference. Wow. And how difficult was that? for you that was very difficult because it affected my self-esteem even my own community didn't accept me for a while and so when i talk about the black black dyspraxic it's not just for the british um, audience i've got big roots in in africa um i'm of nigerian descent my wife was born and raised in nigeria i go to nigeria often so where i'm talking about black black dyspraxic I'm really big on neurodiversity in a global sense, not just also understanding that I am who I am today, sometimes because of the privilege of being born and raised in London. If I was born and raised in Nairobi or Lagos or Accra in Africa, it could have been very, my story could have been very different. Interesting. I'll tell you what, forget about that if you're born here. By the way, the black dyspraxic, which is on uh, Instagram, uh, Toomey's site, has over 2,600 followers, including us. It is the Black Dyspraxic, so follow Toomey today. You know, you talk about if you were born somewhere else. And uh, we have these conversations, Danielle and I, all the time. In the United States, very few people know about dyspraxia. On the other hand, where you're from, London, England, the U.K., dyspraxia is to them what autism is to us which uh, is completely different, especially when you consider education. 
Where here we don't get a lot of we don't get a lot of funding for what my son has. But in England, for example, and correct me if I'm wrong, Toomey, you guys get free education because of this specific disability. Is that right? Yes, uh, I see where you're going with that. Um, there's a little thing to correct here. Even in the UK, autism is still more, even though it's less prevalent, it's more resourced and there's greater awareness even in the UK compared to dyspraxia and DCD and ADHD. Um, autism is still kind of like where all the resources, all the major research funding goes to, even in the UK. However, in the UK, it sounds like things are more level, level playing field. In the UK, when it comes to education, everybody has access to free, free education. But there's, there, there could be some debate as to how good that education is. And it sometimes depends on whatever, depending on where you are or who your local government. I know, I really believe, me that here in the United States... And I, you know, I don't come from half a learned place as you do. You're much, much uh, smarter about this topic. But I do believe there are people you. in the United States, you're welcome, that are uh, misdiagnosed all the time. And I'll tell you something. If God is good to me, I'll be 57 years old in April. And a lot of the yeah, issues, absolutely. thank you, uh, a lot of the issues my son has had growing up, I had the same ones. You know, I had difficulty tying my laces and I couldn't zipper my jacket and all the things that Gabriel has had difficulty with, I had too. Now, the, yes, I was a very good athlete. That's true. But there are a lot of the everyday activities that dyspraxics suffer with, I did, and I still do. I can't take a can opener, for example, and open a can of tuna fish. So I am almost 100% sure that I have dyspraxia too. That's why Gabriel has it. But no one knew about it here. And for the most part, they still don't. Are you frustrated by the lack of awareness? Yes, completely. It, it runs in families. Gabriel didn't get this vaccine in the vaccine. So if he's got it, the odds are you have it or, or your wife or, or someone in your family must have had it because most of the time, this vaccine, like autism, like dyslexic, like is genetic. There has to be so much more awareness. Also need to understand that the way this vaccine affects one person it's different from where it affects another person. So it's not to say you can get some dyspraxics who have dyspraxia but are still athletes and still good at sport. We also need to understand that dyspraxia, yes, they have challenges, but people that have dyspraxia also have unique strengths, such as leadership abilities, abilities to be very creative and very strategic. Some of the, our greatest entrepreneurs in the world are either dyslexic or dysfractive. And we are, and the reason why I talk about these conditions co-occurringly is because a lot of the time, I think there's a stat that says 50% of dyspraxia, people that have dyspraxia have dyslexia at the same time. So we know that all these conditions co-occur. And what we need to start doing is when we look at one condition or one learning difference or neurodivergence, however you want to call it, um, your language, if we're looking at the structure, we should look at every, all the differences holistically. And that's why we have terms like neurodivergence, neurodiversity, neurodistinct, you know, because it's, it's really important. So it's really important that we look at them holistically, but also 
allow the nuance and the distinction of Dispatcher and DCD at the same time. You know, my uh, my guy that's taping this conversation has a question that has nothing to do. And by the way, let me just say this uh, to me. You may not be able to shoot the basketball like Michael Jordan or dance like Michael Jackson, but, man, you are smart. Uh, you are really Thank smart. You. So uh, you're very, you're a very, very impressive man. My buddy Chris says to me, uh, would you mind asking to me, do you listen to UK radio? Are you a capital person or BBC or Chris Moyles? I'm actually an LBC person. So LBC is more leading business competition. He knows exactly what you're talking about. That's funny. I've actually uh, become friendly over the last uh, year or so with a guy named Nigel Farage, who does a political show there in uh, there in oh, the yeah. UK. Oh yeah, I, uh, I know I know Nigel. Nigel, I didn't know him. I didn't know him personally, but he's he's um he's he's been quite influential to say the least in British politics. Yeah, I know he is. So uh, when we get to England next time, Danielle and I we're going to go for dinner with you and Nigel. And uh, you like the LBC, and it should make for a very, very interesting conversation. Hey, listen. I, mean, I, 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 I would say that um, just putting it out there, it's not like I agree with everything from Niger's politics, but it will still be a very interesting conversation. I like to Well said. Uh, it's really a pleasure having you on the program today. We, we're really proud of this charity, and uh, we're really proud to have people like you, Toomey, uh, involved and, and, uh, and help support us and you and folks like you and my son Gabriel around the world, and anybody listening right now to this can't help but love you. So thank you so much thank for you. hopping on with us today. You be well. And can I just say this? Thank you so much for having me. I would love sometimes to come out to New York to support you guys. And you, you guys are family. So anything I can do to support, to maximize your mission and your vision in America and around the world, just give me a call. I'm, I'm here for you guys. No, oh, that's sweet. Thank you. We do appreciate that. We really do. And you be well, and uh, we will do that very, very soon. Toomey, you did great. Thank you so much, buddy. Take care. Thank you. All right. There is that. Toomey Soter here on our second annual Dyspraxia DCD America Radiothon. And we'll be back on 77 WABC right after these short messages. This is a song. It may be quite simple, but now that it's done, I hope you don't mind, I hope you don't mind that I put down the words, how wonderful life is while you're in Talk Radio 77 WABC. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. Great song here, Summer Breeze. This is what Gaby picked. Israelis once again continuing their offensive against Hamas. Over 2,600 dead now, about 1,300 Israelis, 1,200 Palestinians. The latest number of Americans dead is 22 with about 17 missing. All these numbers will rise significantly, all of them. 
We'll get back to the news of the day with uh, two of the best guests you could ever have, the greatest ever, Bill O'Reilly, coming up in about uh, 10 minutes or so, and then, of course, the great attorney, Alan Dershowitz. But uh, today is the second annual Dysproxia DCD America Radiothon. Danielle, you've done a magnificent job. But this charity was inspired by my son, Gabriel, who was diagnosed as a little boy with dyspraxia. First of all, that uh, that was your song, right, Gabe? You picked that, right? Yeah, I picked that song. And which one of your buddies is listening right now in South Florida as we speak? Uh, Led's listening. My One of my really good friends, Led, Led Moas, is listening. Led Moas is listening right now. Yeah. Okay. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions before we get to your dear friend, Bill O'Reilly, who's been very good to you, by the way, and this, uh, and this charity. I know you love Bill. Tell me this, Gabe Rosenberg. How does dyspraxia DCD impact your day-to-day life? So if, I, um, if I'm at lunch and I want to get something to drink, for example, I have to get something like specific, like a canned drink. Um, I can't get a drink with like a tight cap. I won't be able to open it. Like I have done that mistake many times, buying a drink and just not being able to open it and having to like throw it away because I like can't open it no matter how hard I try. I literally like sit for like 10 minutes trying to open it. You know it. what's weird about that is... You don't suffer from a lack of strength. You're actually a pretty strong kid, but is it just the, the, the turning? Trip. The turning, you can't turn it with your, your hand, I guess. And yeah, I, I can't. It has to be, like, a little bit loose. Yeah. But I can, I can open a can just fine with my thumb. I, I like, press up, and yeah. I, I can open a can. But the tight caps, it's just too hard, and, um, yeah. Not to embarrass you, because you're the most amazing little boy God ever created. I mean that. No disrespect to your sons out there, but mine's the best. Can you tie your laces at this point? Or no. Not yet. No. No. Okay. Uh, but you can zip your own jacket now. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, get to this one. Can you cover Julius Randle on a good night? <laughs> <laughs> That's mommy's favorite player. He's going to throw up a shot and it's just going to airball, so I think so. <laughs> okay. Uh, what would you like to uh, for people to know uh, specifically one one or two things, Gabriel, Gabriel Rosenberg, about this proxy at DCD? I think I want to make it clear that everyone – who has dyspraxia, um, they have it on, like, a different level. So um, there are some people who have it worse than me, um, maybe can't, maybe, if like, can't throw a ball, um, can't maybe walk properly, I'm not sure. Um, so, yeah, it's not all the same. So it's not like everyone is just, like, incapable of doing something. There are people who may be more capable of doing some things and – People who may be more incapable of doing some things. Well, let me ask you this, because, you know, I'm a very active father. You know that. Mm-hmm. Your mom's the best, but I'm an active father. And um, all these years leading up to where you are now in basketball, many days I took you, right? You and I would go alone to the parks up in Riverdale, and I'd, I'd give you bounce passes for layup lines, and you'd shoot baskets with me. And and there was a lot of days, you're a very, very cute kid, but you didn't come anywhere close to, to the basket. I mean, if you hit the rim, I was ready to celebrate. How did you overcome that? Um, practice, repetition, you know, just shooting the basket over and over and over and over and but, over again. But even with your physical limitations, you were able to do it because of practice. Yeah, and at a, at a certain point, I feel like there was like, I don't know how to explain it. I just feel like there was like this big barrier of like athleticism kind of. And I feel like I just broke through that because now I'm able to do so much it's like so many more things that i wasn't able to do like 
Um, me practicing basketball has gotten me just way better as an athlete in general. Like, um, in gym class, I, I went from, you know, like being scared to hear what we're going to do to being one of the best people to do it. Mm. Um, but this didn't come easily. I mean, I, I'm going to be honest with you. No, it didn't. There were a lot of days and even not that long ago, I remember being at the Y on 14th street and you were having a bad day. And I court, wanted to quit. And but you, I didn't. you yelled and screamed and rolled on the floor and wanted to quit and never play again. And I yelled at you. And you yelled back at me. And I said, Gabe, quitters never win. Winners never quit. That's right. And uh, you said, well, I'm done. And guess what happened the very next day? I went back. Went I went back. back. I kept going and kept getting better. And um, but the, and there have been kids along the way who have made fun of you. Let's be completely There honest. are setbacks, of course. Yeah. And I and – I, and, um, <laughs> When those when those kids made fun of me, um, you know, it felt bad. But I kind of now use it just as like motivation. I to love just that. Keep going. Would you Would you say Gabriel Martin Atticus Rosenberg that uh, that is the biggest challenge you've ever faced was was knowing full well that you maybe didn't look as athletic or look uh, uh, like the rest of the kids, and they made fun of you. Was that? Or was there other challenges? I'm I'm not. I'm not talking about what were the biggest challenges for you. Um, I think, I think some challenges um, for a little bit, honestly, um, confidence. Because when I'm practicing by myself, I may hit six to ten shots in a row. But as soon as I see someone that maybe made fun of me in the past, I kind of just get a little bit anxious, and you know, the ball goes off the backboard, air balls. So like the point is like confidence is one big thing because yeah. while I'm playing by myself I'm I'm very good but um, if I'm playing maybe in front of people yeah or, You're um, yeah You're I get nervous, nervous like sure, sure. Um, we know that basketball has uh, played a huge part right in your in your maturity both uh, physically and mentally. We know that. I love it. Thank you to Corey Selnick for the tickets to the Heat-Knicks game. That was the beginning with Dwayne Wade, and uh, now you've taken it to another level. Is there anything else, Gabriel, that you find yourself doing that me and Mom don't even know about on a daily basis that you say to yourself, yeah, I'm doing pretty good? I mean, kind of just like everything. Like there, there, I don't, I can't really give an example, but um, if I'm, like, doing something um, – or if I like, if I'm doing something, sometimes I'll just be like, "Hey, I wasn't able to do that before, and now mm. I can." And yeah. it's just, it's very interesting. Um, and uh, especially just like what, especially um, in gym class, uh, when I when I maybe play like kickball last year, I mm. couldn't kick the ball. This year, um, almost every single time I step up to the plate, I score. And I'm like, I wasn't able to do that last year. Right. I didn't. I, I hated. I hated gym class last year. Well, see, but you're talking about the physical issues, right? You couldn't kick the ball. You couldn't tie your laces. You couldn't. Do the, but what folks have to know, and you got to be honest here, Gabe, is those physical limitations lead to sometimes pretty severe mental issues. Yeah. Depression, anxiety. You're an amazing kid. I don't know how you do it. I got to be honest because. Nine days out of ten, you walk around the house smiling and happy. Every time I see you, I love your daddy. I love your mommy. You're an amazing kid. But truth be told, you've been depressed. You've had anxiety because of your physical limitations. Yeah, but um, I know I know everyone's different. Um, I know some people will take 
you'll see these limitations and it'll take it the wrong way. But I, I see these limitations and I take it as motivation to do better and work harder. Um, wow. Uh, I forgot where I heard this quote from, but, um, hard work beats talent when talent fails to work hard. Um, I love that. That, that, I forgot where I heard Is that, that from. Kobe? No, Who's it's that not from? Kobe. I think I it's, it Kobe I think it's Kevin Durant. I think oh, Kevin Kobe Durant said Kevin that. Kevin Durant, yeah. So on the way out, before we get to uh, our friend Bill O'Reilly, Gabriel, what is your message to folks out there who may have been diagnosed with uh, dyspraxia? What uh, What's your message? My message is um, no matter all the limitations, setbacks, people who make fun of you, just keep trying to do what you want to do. Um, whether it's, you know, playing a sport, trying to open a, ta- a can, trying to tie your shoes, just keep trying and I'm promise you you'll get it because repetition repetition is just it's it, it helped me so much and if you practice enough it'll help you too we love you so much there's not even a word to describe it you know that right <laughs> yeah we love you so much so proud of you it's uh, it's been a journey but it's been a very rewarding journey for me and mommy because uh there were times we were nervous and we weren't sure there were and, times i was nervous too. of course but um, to your credit, you've erased all that. And uh, now, now we think you can do anything you want. We do. We love you. Love you, too. Gabe Rosenberg. Well, uh, now he made me cry. We'll take a, um, uh, we'll take a quick break. When we get back, the best ever, Bill O'Reilly will join us right here on Sydney Friends. WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. So funny, Danielle's headphones were on the table. She threw them right back on because Bill O'Reilly is by far her favorite. By far, she thinks he's a genius. He was the best. He still is the best. He'll always be the best. Whether it's weeknights at 9 p.m. on WABC or his own amazing website, BillOReilly.com, great interviews, great columns, great TV show. His Killing Series, Killing the Witches, doing extraordinarily well. And then, of course, we're just 15 days out now, 15 days out from the big one at the Paramount Theater, Huntington, Long Island, Bill O'Reilly and Sid Rosenberg on stage together, New York State of Mind. And a great father, too, mind you, just got back from England visiting his dear son, Spencer. It's my great friend, Bill O'Reilly. Good morning, Bill. Couple of things. Gabriel is going to do great things in this life, and I'm. You don't need to reply to that. I just want you to know that I know. I can spot this kind of stuff. So he's going to do great things in this life, which means he's going to help a lot of people. So that's number one. Thank you. Is he coming to uh, New York State of Mind on the twenty uh, seventh of October? Is Gabriel going to be there? He wouldn't miss it. Uh, my family loves you like you, you don't understand. You're a huge rock star in my house. All right, so he's going to be there. Yes. All right. Good. So we, I just want to we'll do something special for him. Um, oh, and they did. This is you know the boys at uh, Paramount, the Doyle's brothers. They're my friends, and we've done a bunch of shows there before, and they've always been successful. But they released a few really close-up seats, and I'm, I tell people, look, there, it's a good news, bad news situation, because the good news is you'll be right next to O'Reilly and, and Sid, 
And the bad news is you'll be right next to O'Reilly and Sid. <laughs> All right. So, but they did. They usually don't have these kinds of seats, but because of the demand for tickets, and there are a few left, uh, so we hope if you do want to see us, it'll be quite the night. Uh, that everybody uh, goes to Ticketmaster or BillOReilly.com or the Paramount Theater in Huntington, and uh, we'll set you right up. I can't wait. So what do you want to know today? Well, I want to start with, with this, Bill. And uh, and I watch your show and I listen to you, so I know where you stand, but I need my listeners to hear you, uh, yeah. uh, just in case they don't. And and, and I guess the, 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 the big question is, what's more surprising or shocking to you? Just how barbaric... Hamas is, or how flat-footed Israel got caught in these attacks? I would say the latter, uh, because Israeli intelligence is excellent. And uh, you know I wrote the book Killing the Killers. Uh, U.S. intel for 22 years has been right on it. And both U.S. and Israeli were were caught blind. Um, So... We have to have some clarification, we the free world, down the line. But right now, um, this story just reinforces what I write about all the time, and that's evil. And and people are trying to figure it out. You know, I, I said, look, don't waste your time trying to figure it out. This is, These are savages, all right, Hamas. There's savages. And to... to you know, my alma mater is Harvard. And to see 31 organizations at Harvard say, no, 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 uh, the savages are okay, it's Israel who's at fault. You go, is there not an admissions process in that college anymore? I mean, that's just moronic. Yeah. And that's, that's just, just one. That's and by the way, dumb. that's just one. It happens to be your alma mater, but you could add Columbia, George Washington, yeah. NYU, a ton of these schools. And I understand where that comes from because. Throughout the progressive movement's history, they have demonized Israel. That's one of the top ten tenets. Israel is a fascist nation. Israel abuses Arabs. And they don't ever understand the history of the place or why that might be happening. And again, I'm going to harken back to my books, Killing the SS. If you read Killing the SS, you will understand, because we get into it, why Israel is Israel, and what they do and why they do it is all based on logic and protection. It gets me angry because I have to sit through this garbage from the Biden administration, from the television idiots who don't know what they're talking about. They don't know any history at all. And the progressive movement, you saw the Black Lives Matter poster out of Chicago, right, where they were applauding. The terrorist hang gliders who went in and shot dead 300 people at a concert. Black Lives Matter was applauding that. And tonight on the No Spin News, my television broadcast, easily accessed on BillOReilly.com, I'm going to list every blanking corporation that has given Black Lives Matter money. Everyone. Good, because I remember a couple of years ago when... When I forget the the brothers, uh, the Latino brothers started listing all the folks that were giving Donald Trump money. You remember that? Yeah. I mean, look, the people have a right to know that Warner Brothers Discovery, which runs CNN, is a big donor to Black Lives Matter. So is Coca-Cola. 
So is George Soros. No surprise there. But it comes a point where when, when you have life and death, when you have massacres of children and women, that you've got to step back and try to see the reality of the situation. Get out of your ideology. And that makes me so furious because I'm watching this television news coverage. These people don't know anything, Rosenberg. They don't know history. They drop them in there, and they look around, and they, they, you know, people are yapping at them from every point of view. And now we have a big media controversy because the Wall Street Journal says Iran is behind Hamas, and CNN says it isn't. <laughs> Jesus. Right? Yeah. I okay, mean. so I'm sitting here on Long Island, and I'm going, if you understand the last three decades, Iran has been behind everything. And we document that in Killing the Killers. Everything, every terror act in the Middle East comes out of there. Hamas doesn't make weapons. They don't have any munitions factories to put together rockets. And if it were Russia or China, both of whom are capable of doing that, by the way, the U.S. intel would know because they, they watch. But Iran is a closed society they can train and, and do this kind of thing. So I'm going, I don't know. Maybe CNN is right. If they are, I'll absolutely report that. But it makes no sense to me. This Hamas thing, this was driven by a much higher power than these savages running around in that strip. No question. I mean, we know Hezbollah, for example, is a bit more powerful. They've been firing lo- uh, rockets from Lebanon. But this got, uh, this has Iran's fingerprints all over it. And you get back to the president, Biden, for a second. He makes that speech, which I found to be feckless, very nice, where we have Israel's back. I mean, what do you expect him to say? Right, he's going to say that. Right, but there was no there was no intimidation. The toughest word he used was don't. Now he comes out last night and he says, I promise, I guarantee you, we will get the hostages. What is he nuts? There's no anyone can any way anyone can guarantee that because truth be told, Israel's in a war of annihilation, and as much as they value citizens' lives every single day, if they've got to kill 150 hostages to wipe out Hamas, I hate to say it, those people are gone. It's very instructive for the Trump haters, the people who despise the man, to understand what Trump did with Iran. And again, Killing the killers. All right. Not only did he whack Soleimani, the top terrorist in that country, and we take you through that step by step in that book, but he told the mullahs himself, if you continue to foster terrorism, we're going to blow your ports up. Yes. Okay. So Iran cannot feed itself. It's a desert. It has to import food. There are four ports the food comes through. The United States could annihilate those ports in two hours off the carriers we have in the Persian Gulf. So that's why the Mullahs didn't do jack when Trump was in there. Does everybody understand this? As soon as Biden gets in, the Afghan debacle happens. Who's Afghanistan's neighbor? Iran. Okay? So, again, I don't want to be arrogant or supercilious word of the day, but I'm watching this stuff, and people don't know anything. 
driving me nuts. I know. Listen, I've got a brother-in-law, and I keep bringing him up every day because he's one of the brightest people I know. But when it comes to discussing this, he's beyond stupid. And he he started fighting with me a couple of days ago and said, why would you blame Biden for this? And the more things I listed which point directly to Biden, the more he said to me, where's your proof? I said, where's my proof? He hates Trump. When Trump was president, Harry, there was no Ukraine-Russia. Iran wasn't doing what they're doing today. Forgetting about the possibility of China, Taiwan, or North Korea firing missiles into Japan, uh, we are seeing in, in the Middle East, we had the Abraham Accords, we've got absolute proof, 1,000% proof, that the world is on fire, and that was not the case. Not the case right. three years ago when Trump was in power. Is that not fair to say? Is it absolutely fair to say. All right, I want to just take the last couple of minutes to thank all the WABC listeners for propelling Killing the Witches. It'll open at number two on the New York Times list on Sunday, wow. where we got beaten by the Hate Trump book, which drives me blank and nuts, but it's reality. <laughs> There's a lot of people who, no matter what you do, are going to hate Trump, and they're more than happy to spend $25 to read about hating him more. I don't know why. If you read Killing the Witches, you will learn an enormous amount about your country, about evil, which is what this Middle Eastern thing is all about, okay? And it's entertaining. The best Halloween book ever, with apologies to Edgar Allan Poe. (laughs) (laughs) Killing the Witches will scare the bejesus out of you. It's perfect, too. We've been uh, giving away these tickets all day today, this Hallows End. This, it's a really cool thing that Catch Matidi's bill has going on at the Staten Island Ferry Hawk Stadium. It's got a pumpkin patch by day, but at night he turns it into a legitimate big stadium of a haunted house. And, uh, in fact, people who donate over 100 bucks have a chance today to get this, and it's a lot of fun. But you and the book even go into some of your favorite horror stuff. Like Danielle's sitting right here. She's a huge fan of the horror genre. She loved The Exorcist, and you talk an awful lot about that specific movie in the book. Yeah, because the evil quotient, witchcraft is you are in a league with the devil, okay? That's what witchcraft is. You are communing with the devil. Modern day is exorcism. In the shooting of the 1973 movie that everybody remembers, Nine people died who were associated with the movie. Nine people? Nine. Oh, my God. Does that include the director the... of that movie, William yep. Friedkin, who was a pagan. He did The French Connection, too. He said after shooting that film that he was reevaluating every single spiritual thing in his own life. Wow. That's how eerie. And, you know, when you read The Killing Books, this is the 13th, as you know. Um, and it's the, the most successful nonfiction book series in the world, all of the things we tell you are true and backed up with documentation. There's no exaggerating. There's no speculating. There's none of that. So I thought, you know, it is a, a book now. It's about 150,000 copies in two weeks. We wow. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's it's really not unbelievable based on the success and how great the other books are in that series. It's actually predictable, but I'm happy to hear that because it is a great, 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 great book. And uh, folks, I, The one other it. thing I want to tell before you dump me yeah. is there will be an exorcism at the O'Reilly uh, Rosenberg show. And who's we'll, getting exorcised? We'll pick a member of the audience. <laughs> Just bring them on up. 
I'll have the holy water. Right? We'll, we'll do the whole thing. That'll be worth the money of attendance alone yeah, right there. The levitation alone is going to be unbelievable. No hey, throwing up, though. We're not gonna have, we have to draw the line yeah, there. Absolutely. Bill, another great, 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 great appearance. I love you. Thank you, buddy. This was terrific. Thank you. All right. See you soon, Sid. Thanks for having me. Bill O'Reilly, folks. Thank you. And there are some tickets still available. Not many, as Bill just pointed out. Front row seats, baby. The Bob Euchre seats. Go to ParamountTheater.com and BillOReilly.com. And if you want to donate to today's wonderful cause, our second annual Dyspraxia DCD America Radiothon with both Danielle and Gabriel live in studio, call right now, 1-800-890-9088. But even better, the easier way to do it is go online. Go right now to WABCRadio.com slash DCD. Come on, folks, you're doing good. You could be doing better, a lot better. WABCRadio.com slash DCD. Help out people like Gabriel all over the world. We'll start the fourth and final hour with the genius that is Alan Dershowitz on Sid and Friends in the morning. WABC. 77 WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Second annual Dyspoxia DCD America Radiothon with me, Sid Rosenberg, on Sid and Friends in the Morning. My my son Gabriel, not used to getting up at 3.30 in the morning, is uh, fast asleep on his mother Danielle's lap right now. Yeah, so when Danielle says to me at night, why are you so tired? <laughs> now look at him. It's not even 9.30 in the morning yet. Uh, for donations, and you folks have done a good job, but you could be doing a lot better, i got to be honest. 800-890-9088. That's 800-890-9088. Or, of course, you can donate online. That's the easier way to do it. And that is at wabcradio.com slash dcd, wabcradio.com. 
com slash DCD. Special thanks to Pat Russo. Donated $500, and now he gets himself a four-pack to the big Halloween deal. Hollows end at John Katzmatidi's Staten Island Ferryhawk Baseball Stadium. I just got a picture on my email from a friend of mine. His name is Isaac Krinsky. And he sends me emails every day on, on the major stories. And there was a picture in the email. It was April sixteenth, two 2019. Danielle, you remember this. Because I don't want to go that day. I was tired. And he said, go, just go, go, go. And he went with me. And we went to the New York Times building. And the picture has me up at a, a little, you know, stage they made, standing next to Alan Dershowitz and Dove Heikend. That was when the New York Times put that cartoon out of Trump and Netanyahu as if they were walking a dog. New York Times, of course, has been blatantly anti-Semitic, dating all the way back to World War II, Harry. But I saw that picture this morning, and I thought of Alan, because there's nobody more pro-Israel than Alan Dershowitz, nobody in more pain than Alan Dershowitz. So with that said, here he is, one of the smartest lawyers and decent men. He's a Democrat. He's got to stop that nonsense. One of the most decent men you'll ever meet, my friend Alan Dershowitz. Good morning, Alan. Good morning. Isn't it good that there are some Democrats, at least who support Israel, that Biden and... Not enough. Do? I'm... Not enough. I know, but I, my job is to make sure that more and more Democrats do. And you saw that some Democrats condemned the squad, and that's important. We have to marginalize the idiots, the, the, the immoral people in the Democratic Party. And um, uh, we have to do more of it. And I'm, I'm happy to play that role hmm. as a lifelong Democrat. doesn't mean I'm going to vote for every Democrat. If Bernie Sanders gets the nomination, I'll vote for anybody almost but other than hmm. Bernie Sanders. Sure. But, um, but uh, you know, let's keep, this, let's keep this nonpartisan. Support for Israel so far, with the exception of the crazy squad, has been bipartisan. And that's really important for Israel. Yeah, I mean, uh, not completely bipartisan, but you're right. I mean, even the ladies on The View yesterday took their shots at the squad, which I found uh, very nice, too. But you are aware, Alan, that almost every day right here in New York City, they've got big rallies, big rallies with people supporting Palestinians. But no, I don't mind supporting the Palestinians. What I mind supporting are rapists, lynches, beheaders. That's what some... Know, but let, me, let me stop you for a second. You're right, you're right. And there are some fine, nice Palestinian people. You're right, okay? Uh-huh. But, but Alan, Alan, don't you think, being that it is Israel that has been massacred, Israel yeah. that was the victim here, that there's a time and place for everything, you think it's okay the very you. next day for Palestinians to show support? I don't. I don't. I agree with you. And I think, by the way, when they claim they're showing support for Palestinians, the way Black Lives Matter did in Chicago, by putting that paraglider up, glorifying the people who massacred uh, the people who went to that uh, peace concert, um, they were glorifying Hamas. And, 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 you know, when you hear people, for example, I debated last night um, uh, uh, Cornell West and got a lot of response to it uh, on the Hannity show. People are saying, well, it's okay to for, for the Palestinians to kill the settlers. Now, these people who were killed were not settlers. They were living in Israel proper. They were not living on the West Bank. Many of them were advocates of peace. One of the leading opponents of the Israeli, what they call occupation, one of the leading opponents was murdered in cold blood because these people don't care about what kind of a Jew you are. If you're a Jew, whether it's left or right or center or pro or anti, 
if you're a Jew, we're going to kill you. We're going to kill your children. We're going to behead them. We're going to burn them to death. Uh, there was a very good letter today from Ben Shapiro, which he sent out to everybody, which I commend people to read, saying, look, these people are not like anybody else. Even during the Holocaust, six million Jews were killed. Jews wouldn't behead babies on the Nazi side. In fact, after the war was over, not a single relative of the war perpetrators, from Hitler to Goering to Goebbels, was ever touched. Um, you know, decent human beings don't behead babies. Don't send, as they did in this case, flaming tires into a room filled with babies to burn them alive. Don't rape people. Where are the women? Where are the feminists complaining about rape being used as a weapon of war against Israelis? Where are African-Americans who rightly complained when George Floyd, one man, one man was killed by the police in a questionable circumstance. Right, one criminal. One person. What happened? And, and they, everything got everything got changed as a result of that. No, oh, I know. And and, 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 and and he was murdered. And, and by the way, the cop is doing deserved time. He's doing long time. Right. But, long, but, he was, but he was not exactly the type of guy you turn this country upside right. down for, regardless. Let's even, assume, let's even assume the best case scenario or the worst case scenario, lynching. In no point in American history did 1,200 people get lynched no, in one day. No, no that's they, what these yeah, are. And you, made, and, and you made the best point of all. You know, the Nazis, they pretty much tried to do this quietly. I know it sounds crazy, but they had their concentration camps. But, you know, yeah, they, yeah. Weren't, they, weren't, they, they were not about to send out videos. You know what these Hamas people did, too, was they took these people hostage. They took their cell phones. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. And the Hamas terrorists are actually calling relatives of the hostages on their cell phones to further taunt them. Nazis didn't even do that. They didn't have cell phones back then, but you know what I'm saying. No, of course not. They they did try to hide their atrocities. Here they're bragging about them. And, And you want to know something? They're succeeding. They're stimulating other horrible people into saying, oh, my God, look how successful this was in behalf of Hamas. We're now going to join them. Um, you know, now finally we're on the offensive. Harvard students uh, who signed this obnoxious statement saying it was all Israel's fault, that that the, the rapes were Israel's fault, are now saying, oh, we didn't mean it. We didn't read it carefully. But that tells us a lot. Why would these idiot students sign something against Israel they didn't read? They would never sign something against black people or gay people or transgender people that they didn't read. There's a knee-jerk attitude. If it's anti-Israel, you can sign it. And it tells us volumes about what's going on in university campuses today. This last week has shown a major failure in the morality of American universities and the leadership of American universities. I would like to see the uh, president of Harvard uh, held accountable for her failure, her moral failure of moral leadership, and many other universities for their failures of moral leadership. The way they screamed at, after George Floyd they turned everything. They changed the curriculum. They changed admission policies. They had what's called a reckoning. I think it's time to have a reckoning for what's going on on college campuses today. UCLA, a kid calls me yesterday and said they're trying to have a debate about whether Israel has a right to respond. They couldn't get a single student to defend Israel. They got hundreds of students volunteering to say, no, Israel had no right to defend. Wow. That tells us so much about what's going on. It's the professors who are propagandizing these students. They're calling Israelis settlers and colonialists, um, and, and, and they're justifying anything that anybody does to a settler 
or a colonialist, but it's just dehumanizing and brutal. And Israel is fighting not only for itself, but for humanity. And we all have to be on the side of Israel. Well, that is so well said, Alan. And I did see your debate last night. You beat him up pretty good. And two nights ago, I watched you as well on Sean to make it more local, not UCLA, not George Washington University. But NYU, now I know the uh, this lady, this monster, who was the head of the SBA, uh, did not get a job she wanted and maybe relieved of her duties as well. But I have to tell you, Alan, why now? We're only a couple of months removed. You remember this, when this animal, this this young girl who was a valedictorian at the, uh, at the law school uh, for CUNY, uh, she went out there and made this speech where she did, basically, she talked about what Hamas did, and there still have been zero repercussions, and that was three months ago. Well, the worst law school in the country, and I urge everybody not to hire students, from City University of New York Law School. Oh, you can hire a student who is a dissenter. The dean of the law school, the faculty, unanimously voted to boycott Israel, not to boycott China, not to boycott Iran, not to boycott Cuba, but to boycott Israel. CUNY, City University of New York, where I went, I went to Brooklyn College, has become the disturma of the legal profession against Jews and against Israel. And some of it is led by Jews. Some of it is led by the self-hating Jewish radical lefties who want to go to CUNY, even though it's a fifth-rate law school, um, because, hey, it's so far left that uh, they're not going to learn anything about property or contracts. Uh, they're going to learn about you know, liberation, and they're going to learn about you know, propaganda. And do you want a lawyer representing you who went to a law school like that and learned at the feet of these kind of radicals who – single out only uh, Israel, would you want to be represented by somebody like that? Of course not. And therefore, law firms shouldn't hire people who signed these kinds of petitions or who supported this kind of barbarity. And we're starting a campaign to expose the names of any student. Give them a chance to rescind it. Give them a chance to apologize. But if they don't, their name should be out there because the marketplace of ideas requires transparency. We have to know who it is we're we're arguing with in the marketplace of ideas. So um, I hope we'll get schools to be willing to disclose. If not, we'll go to court and we'll get court orders uh, ordering the disclosure under sunlight laws. Uh, you know, Justice Brandeis once said sunlight is the best disinfectant. And there's a lot that needs disinfecting among universities today. Universities today have been an abominable moral failure. That's why students now in mo- many universities are no longer taking humanities social sciences, because they know that's propaganda. They're taking STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, But even in those departments, you get petitions to uh, single out uh, only Israel. Israel has become kind of the canary in the mine, because it's Israel today, it's the United States tomorrow, and that's why it's so important to use this occasion, use this horrible occasion, to encourage Israel to destroy Iran's nuclear reactor. Imagine if Iran's surrogates, Hamas and Hezbollah, had small nuclear bombs, what they could have done to uh, Israel or what they could do to the United States. And I think the world today is against Iran and using this occasion as a way of justifying the destruction without killing civilians of Iran's nuclear weapons process would be a very desirable thing. It would send a strong message to Iran that you cannot encourage terrorism without paying a heavy price. You know, I've told you I love you many, many times, right? but I really love you this morning, Alan Dershowitz, and you're a great voice, such an important voice. But on the way out, you said Israel today and us tomorrow. 
And uh, tomorrow, the one of these uh, losers with Hamas, one of these lowlifes, has called for a global jihad. And I have had discussions over the last day with both Mayor Eric Adams and the NYPD Police Commissioner Eddie Caban, both. And they are taking this very seriously as a credible threat. Are you? Yeah, they should. Yeah. Um, You know, there will be some people who will say we want martyrdom. Remember, a lot of the people who crossed the border and murdered these people were suicide terrorists. They knew they wouldn't come back alive. They don't care. As the head of Hamas said, we have trained our children, the elderly, to be shihads, to be martyrs. They want to die. We use them as human shields because they're part of the process of getting to paradise. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's just it's sick. And, uh, and when the people paraded around these rape victims and screamed and yelled, Akbar, they were doing it for, for their God. Uh, of course, no religion justifies that. Islam doesn't justify that. But these are people who abuse their religion. These are the most anti-Palestinian people around. They hate the Palestinian Authority. They don't want a two-state solution. They do not want to end the occupation. Let's be very clear about that. For them, the occupation gives them justifications. They want to end Israel, pure and simple. That's their goal. Not peace, not two-state solution, not end of the occupation. Alan Dershowitz, brilliant. Stay safe. Please keep talking. Thank you so much. I'm the best. Thank you. You're the best. You know you're the best. Thank you, Alan. Take care. That's my friend uh, Alan Dershowitz with a great message. Folks, I just want to send this number out there on this website once again. We have about 31 minutes to go. Now, tomorrow, Danielle's not going to be here. Gabe's not going to be here. We're not going to have this proxic guest on. But I will continue this Radiothon through tomorrow. So if you don't donate tomorrow, to today, I should say, I will have the number and the website available tomorrow to take this right to the weekend. If you do want to donate right now, the number is 1-800-890-9088. That's 800-890-9088. And the website, even easier, wabcradio.com slash dcd. That's wabcradio.com slash dcd. Quick look at traffic, then more of this Thursday edition. All that coming up on Sid and Friends in the Morning. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.